Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with me for the full three hours as we review last night's game in Knoxville, Tennessee, between Auburn and Tennessee. A, uh, a very good basketball game, a game Auburn falls just short in. We'll uh, recap that one in great detail here on this Thursday. Uh, we'll have some press conference audio for you coming up a little bit later, probably in the 4 o'clock hour from Hugh Freeze today. Uh, it was his first presser of the uh, spring football practice window. Good stuff from him this afternoon. We'll let you listen to it again a little bit later in the show day, talk a little bit of spring football and react to his comments about the first couple or uh, yeah, first couple practices or so. Of course, if you want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join the show today. Also have birthdays and sports nightly TV guide as we do each and every day. Again, Ryan, TP, and Brooks with you here on this Thursday. TP Hammett, good to see you, my friend. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing really well. It's been a it's been an interesting week. You know, Monday you get the big news that the Mac is expanding, and then you get but uh, in you know last night's game was a pretty good one. Um, hard hard one to drop. I mean, you know, in the SEC tile race, I know. Yesterday, you guys said that you didn't really expect Auburn to win, and I was absolutely agreeing with y'all, but it just felt like they had it. They really had it. And then a man named Dalton Connect arrived, and he just tore the hearts out of every Auburn fan as he really, he really gave Auburn the business last night. But overall, though, I'm doing well on this Thursday, getting ready to uh, watch the NFL uh, scouting combine for this weekend. I know some of our callers have talked about the combine, and they're pretty excited for it, and I am as well. I said in the office, you know, some people have Zen where they, you know, they listen to, like, waterfalls and rainforests. My Zen is the NFL combine. So I'm really happy today, Ryan, uh, just excited to get to talk to uh, all of our callers today. And then Brooks Childress on with us today this afternoon. Brooks, how are you? I am doing fantastic. It is a, a wonderful Thursday, even though it's a little little chilly outside. We the the groundhog lied to us a little bit, so uh, not happy with Paxitani Phil uh, beginning of this month. But it's the last day of February, and it's a it's a leap day, and so we don't get these around often. So you might as well take advantage of it, and be happy uh, during the day because it's an, an extra day to enjoy enjoy life is what I like to uh, like to say. And uh, Braves uh, continue through spring training. That's my Zen. Uh, uh, TP, you mentioned your Zen. My 
does in his baseball. And so the Braves having two games going on today, split squad day for the Braves, and they're winning both of them uh, with the Twins and the the Rays. They'll be back in action this weekend over on, F, on AM 1230 WAUD. So can't wait for that. Um, we got to hear from a couple head coaches today, as you mentioned, uh, Ryan. We got to hear from Hugh Freeze for his first press of the spring. We'll hear his comments later on. Uh, we got to hear from Butch Thompson ahead of a, uh, a weekend series with a, a pretty good UConn squad that was uh, made the tournament the last couple years. Uh, we're very, very close to going to Omaha. Uh, Butch Thompson reminded uh, everybody very close to going to Omaha uh, two years ago when the Tigers went uh, the last time when they uh, Auburn ended up beating uh, Oregon State in that super regional. UConn was matched up with uh, Stanford, who Auburn ended up running into in the in. Uh, Omaha, and so it's uh, it's going to be a really fun weekend series. Auburn softball schedule uh, continues to get moved around for the weekend because of weather concerns, but also some good competition coming in uh, t- for the Tigers to face this weekend. And can't wait to uh, dive into some of that. And of course, you know, you, you mentioned we'll we'll talk more about it, but a, a disappointing game in Rocky Top last night. But you got to be proud of the effort. That I think that's one of the big takeaways. You got to be proud of the effort. And you got to be uh, you have to be optimistic about what a, a neutral site games uh, mean for this team and in, in coming up in uh, in March. But can't wait to dive into all of that and get to all of our callers as well. Alright, so let's get to it. We will break down Auburn, Tennessee a lot today, but we already do have a full bank of callers, so let's go ahead and go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 starting off the show today. Real Deal from Coosa County. Real Deal is with us. Real Deal, how are you this afternoon? Alright, man. Uh, I'm going to make a comment, and then i got some questions to ask. All right. TP, you in the building? Yes, I'm here. TP the other day? Yes, I'm here. Okay, listen, man. So I know your folks at the studio got kind of ill with the one I said that about Bruce Pearl. Somebody must have called Bruce Pearl and told him what I said. Now, y'all misunderstood. You been probably there the other day, TP, when I said... Auburn was not playing focus. Now, that's what I was trying to explain to y'all guys the other day. I was proud of Auburn. That's the Auburn team I know. That Auburn team played like a Final Four Auburn team. They went to Tennessee. Tennessee is good. Tennessee didn't lay down. Auburn didn't lay down. That's the Final Four Auburn team I know. That's the Bruce Pearl I know. I don't know if y'all... Got back to Bruce Pearl, but that's the Bruce Pearl I know. That other guy that took all the hard fire, like you said, TP, they tried to get him in fire trouble, but, you know, Tennessee protected him. That, that kid is really good. You can't take nothing away from that. But that's what I was trying to explain to y'all when I hung up. I was hearing some of, some of the guys in the studio say, well, I don't agree with that, what real deal said. No, no. Real deal told it like it was because that's what it called the real deal. That's that's the other team I know. If we lose a game like that, then I'm proud of the team. But if we just come in and just say, oh, hey, that's Tennessee, I'm going to just lay down. That's the other team I know. And I was real proud of them. They took Tennessee to the limit. They kept that game to the limit. And Tennessee had to really fight for their lives at their own stadium, in, in their own gym. That's all that I know. That's the kind of best ball I play at the high school level. I didn't say that 
we didn't win state championships every year. And then I made the comment that uh, South Carolina's girls team, you guys were saying, well, how can you compare them with, you know, I didn't compare them with the women's South Carolina's team. I was just telling y'all how Stan Baylor has them focused every game. Now, that was over. That was a 2019 Final Four Auburn team. Auburn keeps that. They got a chance to win the SEC. They got a chance to go on. A lot of ways in the Mars Madness, they play like that. That's the Auburn I know. I was proud of them. I loved them. Hated their lives, but, but they gave them all they had. Now, here is my question that I'm going to hang up because I know you got all the callers hanging on. Uh, how do you think that we look in our spring practice in football? I know you can't take you know, too much out the spring practice, but uh, that kid, uh, I can't think of his name, the uh, freshman quarter that we uh, signed. Walker White. Walker White. I got a chance to uh, meet that kid. He's a big kid. I mean, he's, oh, he's. He's a very big kid, looks very athletic, and uh, I don't know. I mean, he just looks good to me, but, you know, looks for the season. But I'm going to hang up, get you guys comments on the spring practice. But just remember, I'm not putting my Auburn team down. I've been an Auburn guy since I was six years old. But what I was trying to preach to y'all the other day, that's the Auburn team I know. That's the Bruce Pearl I know. Bruce Taylor coached his butt off. He coached them guys, and they come in to play Tennessee. And if Auburn go on like they play in Tennessee, we'll go a long way in the SEC tournament. I don't care who we play. We'll go a long way in the Mars Madness. We'll go a long way. Well, Egan, I want to get you guys comments. War Eagle, real deal. We appreciate that phone call. That is a real deal from Coosa County. They're joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line. Uh, talk a little bit about Auburn and Tennessee there, and then also uh, about uh, about spring practice. Yeah, what I would say just real briefly about Auburn and Tennessee um, was I think that you did see a great battle, great focus throughout the game. Um, unfortunately, sometimes a superstar player will be a superstar player, and you don't see that as often in college as you do in pro, but Don't Connect is going to be a lottery pick in all likelihood. Uh, you even have folks like Jimmy Dykes who did the game last night says he'll be the first college player taken. We'll see about that, but I, I do think he'll be a lottery pick. And uh, he just decided he was going to go nuclear. Uh, Auburn responded well to just about all of it. I mean, there was never a point where they had a three- or four-minute sequence. It felt like where they just uh, ran around without uh, without any knowledge of what to do. They did have turnover issues last night. We'll break down break down that in a little bit. But, yeah, the effort was there. Uh, the 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 fight was there. The offense was there um, to to be able to have an eighty four point game on the road at a top five team. I, I agree with Real Deal that if you uh, if you can play like that, you focus like that, and 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 score like that, uh, you can go on a serious run in March. Absolutely. I mean, um, there's only by the rankings three more difficult games in the country right now than going on the road at number four. And uh, you played them a very even game for 40 minutes, and they just had one more shot maker than Auburn had. But uh, I, I agree with a lot of them uh, there. Uh, his question about spring practice, in particular about 
Walker White and the quarterbacks. And again, we did uh, hear from Hugh Freeze in the press conference earlier today. We will play that audio in the four o'clock hour. I think something that stood out to me in the videos I saw uh, and uh, and being there with Coach Freeze today, I think what stood out was. Uh, as Real Deal kind of mentioned, the looks part of it, he looks the part. Uh, he looks like he will be a guy that's going to be cool, calm, and collected. He looks like a guy that's uh, that's going to be able to be a big-time college quarterback. Hugh Freeze mentioned the arm strength today a couple different times when he was talking quarterbacks. I think he did kind of uh, hint at the fact that Walker is, is just kind of behind everyone else right now because he is the new guy. They've had one or two practices and – uh, you're simply not going to just automatically overtake half the field in one practice. Um, but he did mention a couple different times the arm strength that Walker White has. And I think that that is something that is going to be on display uh, whenever you see him because he is a bigger kid too. When you expect someone like that to be able to throw uh, throw the way that, that, uh, that they're being described already with Walker White. So I don't think that he's um, – I, I don't think that he's in a great position to go high up the depth chart uh, this spring because of they're wanting to look at everybody. I think Brooks, uh, what he was talking, Coach Freeze was talking a little bit about reps for everybody, and he kind of mentioned the three returnees and mm. then Walker White as someone that they just need to find time for as a fourth guy. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seemed that. While again, they they understand what the ability, what the ceiling might be, and it might be quite high for Walker. It seemed like at least in the spring, it's just going to be a little difficult uh, for him to work his way up that depth chart. Yeah, you know, it, it's he he he, meant, he came out quite and, and said it, you know, straight up that everything was coming a little quick. He was swimming and everything was flying at him pretty quick right now. And so he 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 said, and and everybody will hear it uh, later on. But he said, you know, you just got to get him. Uh, you know, slow things down for him a little bit. Let him, you know, let the learning curve kind of kind of hit and let him get into the motion of things. Um, but you know, he he talked about how they are when it comes to this quarterback battle. They are charting everything from passes to footwork to he said he's got three guys charting just quarterbacks in that in that room, and so they are doing their thorough work with it. Uh, he mentioned that f- that uh, first practice on Tuesday was very windy, so it was difficult for throwing. Uh, if anybody was out in the wind, we I, I was out of the baseball game on a, on Tuesday. It's it it was difficult. There was there was some strong gusts out there, so you can imagine the uh, the wind uh, effect of that a little bit. Um, and so they're they're doing their due diligence with it and you know when it comes to walker white i I think that you're you know i I think he's very confident in it i think this offensive staff uh albeit a little bit new with some of the the, some of the pieces there uh in the offensive staff are confident in what they what they've seen or what they what they know they've seen on film and such from from walker white in the high school days but you know as he said it's a little and you know we hear this all the time when it when it comes to you know stepping up and uh even uh justin ferguson mentioned it yesterday with uh in regards to cam coleman who is a five-star wide receiver there's still some stuff that they come in here and he's like you could be a a five-star whatever come to the college game 
and it's a different world. And it's just the same way, you know, we're, we've got the NFL Combine on in here. When these some of these top-level guys in the that are going into the draft get to that NFL, they get those first training camps, there's going to be some stuff that hits them in the face and be like, whoa, this is this is so much quicker, so much so different. Uh, just you you keep going up the levels of football, things just get get more difficult quicker. Uh, you got to adjust quicker, and so I, that that's the phase that Walker White's in right now. Is you've got three guys in the room that have had a year in in with Hugh Freeze and had a year in to to college ball at least at, at least a year into college ball. And they're, you know, they're, they're going a little bit, they, they know what to do. Walker White's going to have to, uh, tries to catch up with them. Uh, I'm going to try to play catch up here. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing because it happens to all freshmen. Any freshman comes in, you got to play catch up a little bit. But Walker White's a guy that it, it, Hugh Freeze mentioned it, it feels like uh, is going to be able to get there and, and, be a, and, and be a very, very good quarterback. And, and I read it too, just uh, from what Freeze was talking about was, Look, they're going to start with the guys they're familiar with, the guys that, that were here last year, um, and kind of go from there. And understanding that Walker is a talented enough guy that they need to go ahead and give some reps and opportunities too. But like I said, I just don't think anything in the spring um, is, is going to be very easy for him to just overwrite those other guys. And uh, maybe even Hank Brown because he singled out Hank Brown uh, today as having maybe the best day in the wind conditions on Tuesday, which was interesting. I, I would again, I he is not the front runner for the job. It is Peyton Thorne and, and Hugh Freeze said as much. But um, you always try to see who they will, who the coaches will single out as having impressive work or that sort of thing. And it was Hank Brown originally, and then he was asked to follow up, and then he said, "Well, you know, Peyton Thorne, this is an open race, but it, it is." He did characterize it as Peyton Thorns to lose. Uh, so, I, I mean, again, that's a clear front runner there. And, um, I, again, I, it's just that. If Peyton Thorne does a, a decent enough job, it's going to be hard to overtake him. Uh, but if he does a poor job, then that opens it up to everybody. So uh, if, you, if you read into that comment, it's going to be pretty hard to uh, take Peyton Thorne out of the starting job. But, again, if he does it to himself, if he has a – uh, a poor spring obviously everything will be on the, the table and, and Hugh Freeze said some other interesting things for sure uh, let's go ahead and grab another phone call here on the orthopedic clinic phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine next up james from montgomery james is with us james how are you this afternoon i'm good i'm war eagle war eagle yeah, I know that y'all are uh, talking about it. y'all are actually watching the scouting combine and i'm actually watching it myself and I'm actually seeing, um, I'm actually looking at the uh, defensive linemen, and I was looking at uh, some guys uh, from Auburn. I, I looked at uh, uh, hair, um, uh, defensive lineman for Auburn. Uh, Marcus Harris. Uh, yes, I saw him, and I think he would, Marcus Harris, I think he would be a good fit for uh, Dak Prescott and, and my Dallas Cowboys because I I actually see him uh, being a Cowboys uh, player as well. So I think that will be a really good observation for Jerry Jones to actually put him with uh, with you know Michael Parsons and all the other defensive linemen in that Cowboys uh, roster this year. So I think Harris is is a good fit for the Cowboys organization as well. Yeah, we shall see. I do. I do not think he'll be an early round pick. He'll be a uh, probably a day three guy. So we'll see 
Uh, we'll see mm-hmm. where he can go there, but uh, maybe even undrafted free agent. I will see. Uh, but I think that uh, I, I think that teams, when looking at the end of the draft and undrafted free agents, they're just looking like uh, looking for guys that can make the roster and 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 help them at some point. We'll see if Marcus Harris can do that. Yes, because I'm actually going to see uh, how Marcus Harris is actually going to do. Um, you know, probably you know when the draft comes in and uh, seeing if they're going to you know scout him in and bring bring him in to to the uh, you know to the camp and actually see uh, what what uh, Mike McCarthy might look at him and. Uh, check his abilities, his um, physical abilities as well, because I'm I'm actually looking for that one uh, sometime probably two, uh, probably Friday or Saturday as well. So I don't know what they're going to do between now and tomorrow as well. Yeah, and again, they're going to be scouting all kinds of guys these next uh, few days. They're working with defensive linemen today, but you uh, you'll have some Auburn DBs that will be in the next couple of days and. Uh, obviously, I think I think the number is around 300 or so players at the combine. So there's not even not even everyone that goes to the combine will get drafted. So we'll see uh, we'll see how it all pans out. Yes, that's well because I'm actually looking at all 300 guys in this uh, scouting combine, and I'm actually looking not at the ACC uh, players, not the SEC players, but I'm looking more along the lines of like the HBCU players from. Uh, from Alabama A&M, uh, Mississippi Valley State, uh, Jacksonville State, and Alabama State. So I think they're. I think that will be like closer to like the weekend or so, if I'm correct on that one. Yeah, they they do it by position groups, not by school. So it just depends what positions they're all in. Oh, okay, so I just have to see. I just have to see what um, positions that they're actually going to be looking at as well. Because I mean, this is not my first uh, NFL scouting combine. This is something that I've been, you know, looking at for years, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the season is really going to hold for this year as well. And then on the weekends, I'm look on the weekend on Saturday. I'm looking at the quarterbacks and seeing um, where Bo Nix would, uh, what teams out there in the NFL might want to pick Bo Nix up because I think he he would be a really good. Uh, first or second round draft pick for um, probably like the Detroit Lions or the Indianapolis Colts, uh, the Baltimore Ravens, Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or uh, the Denver Broncos, just to name those those teams that are looking for a good uh, quarterback as well. Well, James, I saw a mock draft a little bit ago that said the uh, that had the Patriots trading with the with the Ravens and taking Bo Nix with the thirtieth pick. How would you feel about uh, Bo Nix being a New England Patriot? Um, I mean, I know that is. I think that's your team. It is, if I'm correct. Yes, I did see the mock draft, and I think that Bo Nix would be a really good fit for your team as well because you know when when uh, they do the mock draft. I'm just trying to see why would they do those mock drafts because they, I mean, those guys, they're, they're professionals and they know what they're doing. But, I mean, that's their picks. And, I mean, fans like myself might have a different opinion on that as well because I've always done my mock drafts as well. And I just pick to see what 
what players might go where and, and, and seeing the team making it to the Super Bowl this year as well. And with that being said, for the 2025 uh, Super Bowl right around the corner, they were saying that the New England Patriots and the New York Giants were going to be playing in the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And I think that would be a really good matchup between those two franchise teams. I would love the Patriots to be in the Super Bowl next year. I don't know if it's going to happen. There's they got a lot to rebuild on, but I would love to see the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And, and a rematch with the Giants for the third time, too? That'd be interesting. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I think that would be a rematch of Super Bowl forty-seven when uh, Tom Brady did the um, helmet catch. That, that, was, that stands right at the tip of, of the Super Bowl history. That that will be golden right there as well. So James, we were talking about mock drafts there for a second, and I know that you are a diehard, very proud Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm just curious, who do you want the Cowboys to take with that first round pick? Um, the first round pick would actually have to be, I would probably say a good a good player from Alabama. I'll probably say Kool Aid. As well, uh, I I see great things coming out of Kool Aid as well. Yeah, I think that'd be a great pick for Dallas. Uh, you can always improve the secondary, and uh, Kool Aid McKinstry out of uh, Pinson Valley, Alabama, is just he he's mm-hmm. very good for the Crimson Tide. As much as it pains me to say that as an Auburn fan, but uh, I think if the Cowboys got him, they'd be very pleased with uh, what he'd bring to their uh, to their franchise. Yes, as well, because I, I can actually hear, like, the, the commentators calling his name during during the Cowboys uh, game, and I'm sitting back, you know, laughing and having my ha- having a good horror laugh at, at his uh, name as well, because I know it's a, it's a funny name as well to, to name somebody after, after a great drink during the summer as well. Yeah, something something uh, something like that. All right, James, what else do you have for us? Well, I know this is um, very um, heartwarming to me, uh, seeing the uh, senior class for the women's basketball team actually playing their last game uh, at home in Neville Arena. And I've been, you know, thinking, you know, I, I've been riding along with these ladies for a long time and, um, you know, it is it, it, it's gonna it's really gonna bring me to tears to see some of these some of these great ladies. You know what they've done for Auburn and wearing the Auburn uh, jerseys for for the last and final time. And I know this is going to be their final curtain call for for today as well. Yep, final uh, final home game. Of course, they'll have more action. The SEC tournament will be important, and hopefully they can make the NCAA tournament. But, yeah, they've got Mississippi State tonight, and uh, that'll be a big game for the NCAA tournament resume. Yeah, because I know um, I'm going to be listening to this game, and I'm, I'm just going to be very, very happy indeed. And I'm going to shed a little bit of tears on uh, some, some great players that I've seen over the years. And Janaya Neil Young, I, I know she's a great basketball player. I'll probably see her in the WNBA sometime real soon. Um, Casey McFadden, I see her in the WNBA probably playing with my Dallas Wings. Um, I actually got a, a chance to meet her in person when I was in Tuscaloosa, and it, it was a it was a heartwarming uh, moment for me as well. And I had tears in my eyes to 
to me a great legendary um, player in uh, Casey McFadden as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, James, we're about out of time with you today. What uh, what final thoughts do you have? Well, um, the only final thoughts I actually have is I just want to see how Auburn is going to really bounce back in tonight's game as well. Uh, fair enough. It is a big one, but uh, they did win this weekend, so hopefully they can uh, beat Mississippi State and improve their resume. All right. Sounds good, guys. And uh, War Eagle and Probably I might uh, send out some uh, trivia for tomorrow as well. All right. We'll be on the lookout for it. All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are going to head to our first time out of the show today. We've got uh, the breakdown of Auburn and Tennessee. A little bit more coming up. More of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Also, birthdays and sports. And the 4 o'clock hour, Hugh Freeze audio, all the good stuff here on the Thursday edition of Sports Call. Stay tuned. Sports Call back in a moment. please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show my name is my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 follow sports call on twitter at sports call au like us on facebook at sports call au Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Appreciate the phone calls on the other side of that break. More to get to here in just a moment. But as we continue on with this Thursday edition of the show, let's go ahead and get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. All right, birthdays and sports today. T.P., take it away. Absolutely. We got John Neeland. He is 80 years old, former NFL guard. Neeland played college football at Iowa. Hawkeyes. Uh, go Hawkeyes. And was recruited as a fullback, shocker. Before being um, before being converted to an offensive guard, he was then selected 13th overall in the 1966 NFL draft by the Dallas Cowboys. There he would go on to have a great career, a six-time Pro Bowler, a three-time first-team All-Pro, and a Super Bowl champion. And in 2006... Nyland or Neeland, excuse me, was inducted into the University of Iowa Athletics Hall of Fame. John Neeland turns 80, and he went to Amenityville Memorial High School Whoa. in New York. Go Warriors! Amenityville. Yeah, um, sounds like something. Amityville. A hotel, 
Amityville. Okay, I, if you said Amityville, I was going to say that's just where the hotels put all the snacks for yeah. you. Yeah. Tough, tough name there, but he is turning 80. Next up, we have uh, Bryce Paup. He is a former, he is turning 56, former NFL linebacker. Paup played college football at Northern Iowa. Go Panthers. Before being selected in the sixth round of the 1990 NFL draft by the Packers, but his best seasons would come with Buffalo, where he was a defensive player of the year, a first-team All-Pro, and a four-time Pro Bowler. Palp ended his career with 545 tackles and 75 sacks. He is current. He is the current defensive line coach for Northern Iowa. Powell, Bryce Palp turns 56, and he went to Scranton uh, High School in Scranton, Iowa, which no longer exists. But Whoa. but whenever they did exist. They were the Trojans, so go Trojans. I know your theme, by the way. What is it? It's Iowa schools. Oh, yeah, because guess what? Tyrese Halliburton's turning 24 years old, current point guard for the Indianapolis Pacers. Halliburton played college basketball at Iowa State. Go Clones. Before being selected 12th overall in the 2020 NBA draft by the Sacramento Kings. He's considered to be one of the best young players in the league so far and has blossomed after being traded to the Pacers as he is already a two-time All-Star with many more awards to come. Tyrese Halliburton turns 24 years old and Tyrese Halliburton went to Oshkosh North High School sure. in Wisconsin. This is a, an uncommon one. Go Spartans. Okay. A little uncommon there. And those are the birthdays in sports. And uh, John Nealon turns 80. Bryce Palp turns 56. And Tyrese Halliburton turns 24. All coming from Iowa colleges. I love Halliburton, man. Um, I've told this story maybe before in the air. I know I have told I have it a too. story about him as well. Uh, I have told it to... Um, numerous of my friends, but um, went to the SEC Big 12 Challenge game. I did too. Uh, yeah, uh, several years back uh, between Auburn and Iowa State when Halliburton was there. And that was back when the media and the scouts were a little more intermingled and um, down on a lower level. And I think that uh, it was a Pistons scout, I think it was, uh, was sitting beside me. And Halliburton hit this kind of like a Dalton Connect shot if you want some recency bias, but hit kind of like a step back contested 26 footer or something like that. And the scout turned to me and said, Wait a minute, was that Halliburton? And I mean, I felt like being snide because you know who you're here to see. It's no one else on that lowly Iowa State team. And I was like, Yep, that was Halliburton. And the guy just goes, Man. And then uh, that was the kind of extent of it. But he was playing for this terrible Iowa State team. Yeah, they were awful. Yeah, that like year. I think it was about a ten-win team that year. But they did come to Auburn, and I remember thinking that shot is weird. But dang it, the percentages are good, and he is one of my favorite young players in the league. I could do a whole segment on why I enjoy his style of play so much. But uh, Halliburton's a good man. He, he, I hope he stays in Indiana a long time, and I hope he. Uh, leads that team to success because th- those those smaller market teams they always see their, their stars leave like a Paul George and so I I hope he'll stay there a long time in Indiana. He's a fun watch, fun watch for sure. Yeah, I remember Tyrese Halberton in the uh, in that draft class for um, for 2020, and uh, I remember as a Pistons fan, I wanted him because I had watched him. I was like, you know, he was on that god awful Iowa team, but he he was pretty good and. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, we drafted Killian Hayes, and I was yeah. really, 
really mad about it. And now Tyrese Halliburton, you know, perennial superstar and Killian Hayes is unemployed. Maybe, so. maybe if the scout was looking a little closer, he would <laughs> maybe see what he needed to see. All right, let's head back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up on the show this afternoon, Ward Dam Steve. For Tiger Ward Dam Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? Thanks for asking, guys. Uh, I'm much better than I was last night. Uh, Brooks and TP is going to hear your voices, so let's get to Same. it, guys. You know, as I said, TP, so, um, there goes Dalton Connect again. And there he goes again. It looks like, I mean, can, can no one just go ahead and just, you know, knock him out of bounds or something, you know, uh, you know, make him go to the free throw line at least, if nothing worse. But, guys, where was he in the first half? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes and just, you know, rains hell uh, on our team in the second half. Well, do recall he was in some foul trouble in the first half. He uh, he picked up two fouls pretty quickly. Then he went on a little personal five or six zero run uh, with about eight minutes left in the first half, and then they they took him out for a few minutes, and then he came back I think with two or three minutes left. Yeah, thirteen foul on him. Yeah, yeah, in the in the first half. So. Uh, he was in foul trouble in the first half, so that made him a little less aggressive. And also, you're trying to get in the flow of the game. You're, let, you're seeing what the, the teammates are going to be able to do, too. But in the second half, he just, again, once he kind of got out of foul trouble and he, he got going, he, he didn't stop. Well, I don't know about good down fouls. He had three fouls, but, you know, after that third foul, uh, there were no more fouls called against him. And I know that the, the rest determined the outcome. Uh, if, if at all, but there were at least two times I saw him wrapped around uh, the waist of Chad Baker, and nothing was called. You guys see that? Did I just imagine that? Uh, I mean, there was one where Baker Mazzara kind of uh, checked up trying to get the call, and it looked like maybe connected, wrapped around him. But they never, they never showed a replay of it. And, and to be quite honest, Stephen, basketball this is becoming an epidemic where. Uh, just about everyone is trying to exaggerate everything at all times. So it's very possible that Connect did deserve a foul right there, but it's also very possible that Baker Mazzara uh, just kind of tried to sell it because he knew that they were trying to get him in foul trouble, get Connect in foul trouble. So um, I, I did see it live. I know the play you're talking about, so it's very possible that was a foul, but I would have loved to have seen a replay. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about those. Then you have uh, these touch fouls away from the ball and we get those uh, acknowledged. Anyway, uh, you know, I was proud of the way the guys fought, um, but as usual, because uh, as soon as I thought, hey, we, I think we win this game, we had an eight-point lead. And then it got tied, 69-69, about the nine-minute mark. <clears throat> then tell me what happened here, guys, because I was so dang livid uh, when this happened. I said, what did he do? What did he do? Bruce Pearl got damn technical. What did he do, guys? I mean, he was... I don't know the exact wordage, uh, verbiage he used, but uh, I mean, he he was stepped out on the court complaining about yeah, the. Yeah, he did that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, uh, he Is he was very technical? animated in that moment. He was very animated in that moment. I I don't know again what exactly he said, but if you get out right on the court as the game is going on, you're not going to get a leash for that. Okay, because I've seen other coaches walk off. I think Cal Perry did, and all they did was get a warning, but he got technical. I, I I did I thought Bruce Pearl deserved a technical, and I can't speak for every single time uh, that a coach has, has uh, tried to step over the line and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, that 
that that ended up not being too big of a deal for me. Uh, again, I I definitely thought it warranted that, and unfortunately, I I would have loved for him, I guess, to have been uh, doing that after an obvious call. But they showed the replay about eight times, and I truly did not see a foul on that play. Okay, uh, moving on, guys. My uh, more concern here is what's the mentality going to be for the team for the remaining games for the SEC tournament. What's your thoughts, guys? I mean, I think it'll still be good. I know there was some worry about it. I saw a couple of the beat writers uh, mention the possibility of a letdown this Saturday against Mississippi State. I would also remind everyone, Mississippi State just had their own heartbreaker. They they just played Kentucky at their home court and uh, blew a lead in the second half and hit a three to tie it and then got beat at the buzzer. So, um, you know, I think that it is a bit of a mental test for both teams this weekend. But I think Auburn mentality, Auburn's mentality should be good. I, I think that... Uh, yes, they were playing, as Bruce Pearl said, for a regular season championship in a way last night because uh, it's anticipated Alabama will not run the table. But, uh, you know, I, 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 there's so many more things to play for. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about their mentality. And, and, yeah, again, if you were playing a team on the road this weekend or playing a team that was red hot, that'd be one thing. But, again, like I said, State State just lost a heartbreaker of their own, and, and you're back at home in Neville Arena. So I'm not saying they're going to walk all over Mississippi State, but I think in the friendly confines, I think that's a good place to be in. Well, I hope yours is the correct uh, outcome. Um, because also, Rep. Nathan King, we need two – particular SEC teams to lose at least one game for us to get a double bye. And they are? Yeah, Florida Kentucky and Florida. And yeah. Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's very realistic and plausible. Do, do you agree? Oh, yeah. No, I I, I did not mention uh, the standing, um, I don't want to say backlash, but just the, the fall in the standings Auburn would have by losing last night because I feel it's very likely that uh, they will have the results they need to end up. Because they could also, I believe, I don't know how all the tiebreakers work, but Auburn thumps South Carolina. So South Carolina uh, gets down into a tiebreaker with them. Auburn would pass South Carolina in a five-loss tiebreaker. So, And I know that Florida, uh, not only do they play Alabama, they play South Carolina. Someone's got to lose that game. Uh, and then Kentucky, I believe, has got Tennessee again. Uh, they yeah. do. So Kentucky's got Tennessee again. So um, I, I, Auburn's at, if, if Auburn wins out, I, I would, it would take a perfect storm of results, of which I do not think will happen uh, to keep them away from the double bye. And I'm hoping that the team is motivated or has an incentive to continue doing and playing their best and not be lackadaisical to improve their seating or to at least maintain no lower than a four seating. Right, right guys? Yeah, again, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, 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 think, I think the assumption, or maybe not the assumption, but the insinuation that Auburn would be so demoralized it would just kind of uh, be at half half capacity the next few weeks. I, I think that's that's not understanding the sport, uh, sport of basketball, and that's also not understanding the character of this team. I think uh, pretty much all of Bruce Pearl's teams have felt like they have battled hard and they have not had uh, a lot of woe is me type of uh, mentality. So um, I, I could be wrong. Uh, I, I, I certainly hope I'm not, and I don't feel that I am, but – I, I think Auburn's got so much to play for, uh, even though they are now not going to win the regular season title. I, I think it would be and, – and look, I would say – I would go as far as say if they do have a letdown, I wouldn't understand it. I would, I would find it to be silly because they, they have a lot, a lot on the line still. Speaking of letdown, guys, um, do you think that might be a letdown by Tennessee playing Alabama this weekend? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I, I see. They understand the magnitude of that game. Yes, they just won a very important game against Auburn, but what that did is that gave them the right to have an even more important game against Alabama. And uh, look, they got to go on the road, so that's a obvious ingredient that won't help for them. Uh, but uh, the winner of that game is going to get a share of the SEC title at the least. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to break much news in, in saying that because they're both at three losses. Uh, South Carolina's at four. Uh, the, the winner of that game ain't losing their final two conference games. I, I assure you they won't. I think Tennessee's going to have uh, – I think they have Vandy in the midst of that. Uh, to, well, I mean, they do have South Carolina and Kentucky, but I, they're not going to lose both. And I, I know Alabama's not going to lose at home to Arkansas. So uh, the winner of that game guarantees a share, in my mind, of the SEC title. So I think they understand what's on the line there. Have you seen, guys, by chance, CB, uh, Jerry Palms, uh, now, yeah, his uh, uh, most recent bracketology is up today. I have not seen his. Okay, I'm just asking you historically, how accurate has he been or not? I'll have to double-check. There is someone that ranks, uh, based off of the history of it, that ranks the uh, accuracy of bracketologists, and I know uh, that there's about 150 or so bracketologists rank, which I've only heard of maybe 15 of 150? them. 150? Yeah, I, maybe they're ranking me. I don't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <Jeez. you> know, <laughs> but there's about 150 ranked. And uh, you might be surprised to know Lenardi is only ranked in the 80s. He's uh, pretty middle of the pack, actually. I don't know where Jerry Palm would rank in that. Okay. So I'm looking here for his uh, predictions. Auburn would be a fourth seed playing in the East. Uh, category with UConn being the number one uh, team in that. And then there's Boise State, Wisconsin with us, uh, South Dakota State, Michigan State, South Florida, Louisiana Tech. So my question bringing this up, guys, is, and I've seen the other, they have, uh, he has Alabama number three. Now, does the NCA have um, no, I guess, uh, it's not, it doesn't matter to them, just, it's no wealthy as to physically where the teams are located versus where they're put into a tournament? Uh, they... They reserve the right to to make it more beneficial for some, but they, they it's not a guaranteed. No, uh, usually if you're the one seed, you are put in the region uh, that is most geographically suitable for you. But uh, once you're down the line, that that's really it's it's kind of a crapshoot. There's there's no guarantees there, and again, they they if they can make it make sense, they will. But it's again, it's not it does not have to be a guarantee. Okay, because Florida gets a really nice, I, I guess. They're in the South uh, region. Right. And, and yeah. North Carolina is in the West. And they're number one seeded team, according well, to Joe Lenardi. Well, but, but so, again, and what I would say is if you have teams of a similar ge- geography all ranked on the same seed line, someone's going to have to be somewhere that they don't want to be. So North Carolina, under that projection, is going to be the fourth number one seed. So they're going to have the last – uh, ability to be picked where they need to go. So they're going to make sure they put UConn in, in UConn's best geographical area. They're going to put, what, Houston, I assume, is one of the one seeds. Yeah, uh, in Purdue. Uh, in the south, and then Purdue's the other one. So none of those teams are really uh, wanting to go out west, so they're going to put one in the, in the east, one in the south, uh, one in the midwest, and, w- and one in the west. And uh, the last pick of those is going to be Carolina, and they're going to have to go west. So that that would make sense if they're a one seed because they're not going to be better than the fourth one seed. Well, two SEC teams really uh, like out because according if they this is true, 
according to Jerry Paul. He has Florida, who's number eight seed, according to him, and Alabama both both play in the South. So they, right. they, they, they get lucky there. All right, guys, I know time is almost about up. Yep, last uh, thing for us. Maybe, yep. Yeah, maybe we'll have more time. Uh, you know, uh, Kaitlin Clark is now 16 points away from beating uh, Pete Maravich's record. I thought about it and I thought about your comments, and, you know, I'm I'm wondering if they might be putting an asterisk on that, which he does exceed it. Uh, and that asterisk being, you know, she did break his record. However, it was not a – it was false equivalency, is what I'm saying, for breaking his record. Because, like you pointed out, and I remember, you know, there were no three-point shots back then when Pete did this. So he had to really – he had to really bust his butt to get these points. Right, and I think he did it in less games, too. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it does not take away how, how tremendous the accomplishment is. Uh, it's still, well, I agree. Yeah, sure, absolutely. But uh, yeah, there are some differences that, that people do have to acknowledge in it. So, uh, yeah, again, it, it's, it is a time of celebration, and we can always argue about what record is, is better and that sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, Maravich, Maravich is still the <laughs> most insane uh, with, with what the numbers he put up. And see him saying finally, you know, I I don't know if he'll ever do this again, but damn, thirty nine points. I mean, without him, we win the game. Right. Yep. But I guess you could say this about other uh, players on other teams as well. But anyway, I was proud of uh, the effort guys uh, put forth, and I hope they uh, you know don't have a load down for the remaining three games. All right, guys, thank you for your time. Thank you for letting me whine a little bit. I'm over. It. So uh, until tomorrow, have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, Oreo, guys. Oreo, Steve, we appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Ward M. Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are out of time for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, we will break down more of Auburn and Tennessee. And coming up, we will have Hugh Freeze press conference audio as spring football has arrived. Practice has begun on the plains. We'll tell you, we'll let you listen to uh, what the head man had to say about the start of spring practice and kind of where the program is heading into year two of Hugh Freeze's leadership. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, 
T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday. Coming up in just a few minutes, uh, some Hugh Freeze press conference audio from earlier today as he talks about the beginning of spring practice, where the program stands, where the quarterback battle stands, some of the newcomers, a lot of good stuff. It is a bit of a long one, but we'll play it for you here in just a few minutes. Uh, but before we do that, we do want to get a little bit more in Auburn, Tennessee. We've had some calls asking about it and that sort of thing, looking at some different topics. Uh, we've not broken down some of the elements to the game yet, though, so let's let's do that right now. Uh, guys, something I was interested in outside of Dalton Connect's you know, 39-point masterpiece, uh, interested that Chris Moore didn't play and that Lior Berman uh, played a little bit more. And also got to mention, of course, Shaylen Williams playing, and, and he played about 20 minutes. Not quite his normal workload, but uh, definitely uh, not too limited. I mean, he played half the game. So some some decisions there. Uh, obviously, to play Jalen, uh, and glad that he was back, and he looked pretty good, by the way. Uh, he was pretty effective, 12 points, 4 of 9. That's fine. He's capable more, but that's fine. Um but, again, about nine or ten minutes for Leo Berman. No Chris Moore in a game where you were struggling a little bit more defensively. Not that you were doing all this bad stuff. Dalton Connect made about four of his threes. Um, I, I, I think he made five threes. Three or four of his threes were just over Janai Broom in his face. And, like, I don't know what else you're supposed to really do about that. Uh, you have the 6'10 dude trying to – uh, guard him like that, and I know he got to the rim a couple times on him. He also was matched up with Berman a few times, and he kind of smoked Berman, which is not a shock. Uh, that That's what happens on that side for Berman. Uh, but I don't know if Chris Moore would have made a difference. Uh, I know that he's uh, not the offensive player, but uh, another body to go at. Uh Go at connect might have been worth it just to see it three or four possessions, just to see it as opposed to Berman. Um, were you interested at all in that decision, or or if not, what uh, were your thoughts on Jalen Williams being back and just how uh, the rotation flowed with uh, all hands back on deck? It was, um, you know, it was, you know, real deal said you had to be pretty encouraged by what you saw, and I agree. I thought that was a really good performance. You know, I think. It's hard to beat a number, you know, a top five team on the road whenever their best player goes for 39. But, I mean, you know, you were there. You were there till the very end. You lost by eight points, but let's real, let's be real here. That was a three- or four-point ball game until, you know, a little bit of that garbage time. But, um, you know, that was, a, yeah, it was an encouraging performance. But there were some things that could have been done to win that game. And I'll be real with you. One of those – was not having Leor Berman guard Dalton Connect. I, I, I understand Leor Berman is a fan favorite and you know what he has done well. He you know he started off as a walk on and he got you know he got that scholarship and you know that's great and all but at the end of the day there is no reason why Leor Berman should be guarding Dalton Connect. That is no offense. That is not trying to be mean. That is a simple fact of life. Leor Berman should never be guarding Dalton Connect in the, for the rest of his life. And I think every Auburn fan can agree with me on that. So I think that was a mistake. And you know what? You live and you learn. And maybe you see that Tennessee team in the SEC tournament. Maybe maybe you make that adjustment. So that that's my thought on the Dalton Connect. I'm not just going to you know destroy Leor for that because Dalton Connect was hitting it over. I mean, he was hitting some crazy shots there, even over other people. It was like, 
it was insanity. I mean, those were just crazy shots, and you knew that he was eventually going to get hot. I just didn't know he would get that hot. So uh, pretty impressive there by Connect. Not, just got a tip of the cap for that. And then uh, Jalen Williams, then I'll throw it over to one of my best friends in the whole world, Brooks Childress. Uh, whenever uh, Jalen Williams came out there, you know, I was a little worried. I'm not going to lie. I think every, I think all Auburn fans were, you know, kind of had a little bit, you know, we were like, yay, he's playing. But is he really back? And I don't think any Auburn fan expected 100% Jalen Williams. But if you're looking at the box score like I am, and if you watched him out there, he looked fine. Now, he didn't look like 100%, and you could tell, you know, he was still working his way back into it, and that's perfectly acceptable. I mean, he came off of what many of us believed. We thought it was a season injury, but, you know, they thankfully came back, and he was able to – he only missed one game. He only missed one game, which is incredible because it looked really bad. 12 points, you know, one of four from the three-point line, you know, that's you know, that's okay. You know, he had a little bit of rust there, four of nine from the field. I mean – I think I was more or less, I was impressed. I was proud of Auburn. You know, you there's you know people say there's no such thing as moral victories, and you know I say that as well. But if there was anything close to it, I would say it's this because you know there was a, a lot of things you could have done better. And I think that this is a really good learning game, and I think this will really help the Tigers come in NCAA tournament time. And Brooks, uh, what what do you have to say about this subject? Um. I like basketball. Uh, Good discussion. <laughs> the uh, So, you know, you, you look at the – I, I said into my open, um, you've got to be – if you're an Auburn fan, you've got to be uh, encouraged by what you saw last night of the uh, potential for, for this team playing on neutral courts here coming up in the next couple of weeks when you get to that SEC tournament in Nashville and then to a an NCAA tournament here uh, toward the end of the, of the month of March. And so I, I think that, you know, you, you saw some really good things from this team um, you know, Jalen Williams coming back last night was big. 20 minutes of game action, had double-digit points scored, uh, three rebounds, four assists. And so I thought he was fine. Um, obviously didn't start the game, uh, but it was, you know, I think he was he, he was fine off the bench and uh, showed that he's, you know, he's not going to miss much of a step here um, going into the, this last stretch of uh, last week of games, really, with Mississippi State, uh, Missouri, and uh, Georgia coming up on the horizon. Um, I, I thought it was, you know, you look at the performance, you had Janai Broom, you had Chad Baker, Mazzara, you had Denver Jones, uh, Jalen Williams, and KD Johnson all scoring in double digits. Uh, that is you know, you you would think would be a winning formula. You look at their box score. I'm not, you know, not even saying totals. They only had three guys scoring double digits with uh, Adu, Connect, and Ziggler scored three in, in double digits there. And, you know, you th- would think, you know, what, five versus two or versus uh, three scoring double digits, you'd think, hey, that's enough to win a ball game. As we've mentioned, as you as you watched last night, Dalton Connect putting 39 uh, is not a, not a recipe for you to win a ball game uh, for for the Tigers. And so I was really encouraged. Um, I you know Aiden Holloway back in the game, uh, uh, another uh, second game in a row starting. Didn't think he did terrible. Uh, one of three from three. It, it wasn't like he was chucking things up and trying to make them go in. It was two of five overall. But uh, I thought he shared the basketball well. I thought he he, ran, he helped run the offense well. Katie Johnson when he came in was about the same two two of five from the field one of two from three um and so i both of them were uh or no, i was looking at katie johnson's uh record trey donaldson came in uh and and did good he, d- he didn't have a, a 
field goal registered, but I thought he still did fine running the offense there. So the point guard position is is still you know a, a spot where you're you're you know you're confident in that. I think the big thing here is you know you didn't see Ryan. You mentioned you didn't see Chris Moore. Uh, out there, which is, is a little puzzling. I thought going after the last game, uh, even without the knowledge that Jalen Williams was going to be there, this could have been uh, that the that this could have opened the door to Bruce Pearl using that that bench a little bit more than he he normally did. Uh, and he, you know, it it really didn't. Uh, it stayed about the same. And so I, you know, I, I'm I'm encouraged again, encouraged from what I saw last night. Uh, disappointed you didn't get the win, but you took the number four team uh, on the road, and it was uh, it was a good basketball game. And if Dalton Connect does not have the game of his uh, his Tennessee career, his his entire career, um, I, you've got a really good shot to win a game on the road. And Ryan, you mentioned it earlier. There's only three harder games out there than you could you could play uh, in the country, uh, and you, you luckily you don't have to play those. But it's uh if Tennessee one, we all know it's a tough place to play. Auburn knows it's a Rocky Top's a tough place to play. But I, I thought this team did did good. Uh, did good under the circumstances, and you set yourself up for a, an easier run down the stretch here. It was interesting point guard play-wise. Uh, I wondered if uh, they would be taken out of the game from a scoring standpoint before uh, they, they got going last night, and that was the case. I was interested to see their playmaking ability, though. Not a lot of assists. They didn't do much wrong in the turnover department hallway. They had two assists to one, and uh, one turnover, and, and Donaldson three to one. Uh, as you mentioned, though, Brooks, you know, not much offense from those guys, though, only five combined points, two on two of six shooting. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, when you score 84 points, it's not like you needed them to be uber aggressive. Uh, I think they did a, a completely fair job of, of trying to make themselves useful uh, without being big time scorers. And I think that Holloway shooting five shots, that's going to sound weird, shooting five shots after the game he had last weekend showed a lot of maturity now maybe you wanted him to shoot a little bit more maybe you wanted to, to crack it open and see what he had but the offense was doing a pretty good job they scored 84 points they scored 40 in both halves um they didn't really like i said they they needed their point guards to take care of the ball and to give others opportunities they did that and hallway did not jack up a bunch of stuff that's a mature thing for him to do that's not something he would have done earlier this year so i give him credit for that because I don't think anything offensively with their scoring or shooting cost Auburn from winning. The only thing I would pick at offensively was the turnovers as a team because they did turn the ball over 16 times. That is a lot. Uh, they averaged 10 to 11. Um, they got very, very sloppy with the other non-point guards. Again, Donaldson and Holloway were fine. They combined for two turnovers. That's, that's completely fine. Uh, but just about everyone else had – uh, a little bit to do with it. Broom had a rough game with turnovers. He did have make some brilliant passes out of the double team, but he did have three turnovers. Baker Mazzara really had a rough one with four. And then you just go down the line and a bunch of other guys at least had one uh, one turnover at some point. Uh, and then Chaney Johnson had, I believe, had four turnovers as well. Or uh, Jalen Williams um, had four turnovers. Uh, no, it was Chaney. So Chaney had four turnovers. So you had some guys there that were non-point guards uh, play – uh, play around with it and get a little sloppy. And I do think that hurt you because Auburn's shooting percentages were just fine. They were fine all game long. Uh, I'm quite frankly surprised. And, again, you talk about um, uh, moral victories in a way. 
to shoot 46% from the field and 41% from three right after you were red hot in the previous game uh, against the top five team on the road. I mean, that that will win you so many games. That will, that will win you pretty much any game you'll play in, and it'll win in March if you can if you can shoot nine of twenty two from three at forty one percent. That's going to win you some games because Auburn has been in the low thirties most of the year three point percentage wise. So uh, I thought that they did a really good job uh, with their offense. It was just that turnover bug from the non point guards that did victimize them a little bit. And then, yeah, obviously the Tennessee part of it, Dalton Connect, just being red hot. Um, the rest of their offense, I mean, even Zakai Ziegler, who did get 17, a lot of those were free throws, so that's about how the game was called. But, I mean, they defended him well. He was 3-9 from the floor. Adu got some good looks. We knew he would as a big guy. He had a productive game. But, uh, really, they did a good job with just about everyone else. You take Connect's shooting away the rest of the team – uh, was 16 of 36. That's okay. That's fine. That's in that tweener range. But obviously, Dalton Connect was who uh, took them over the top and had a big game. And uh, Auburn just couldn't quite do enough to get him uh, off the score sheet there. We're going to take our first time out of the 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, we will have Hugh Freeze press conference audio. Give you a look inside of how spring ball is going so far and where the program is. The Hugh Freeze press conference audio coming up next. Do you want to join our conversation? Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Yeah, thanks for uh, for being here. It's uh, it seems like it's been a while. Um, maybe it's not been as long as I, I think, but uh, it seems to be uh, a while. And I appreciate uh, all that you've done to cover our, our team and, and our university and our sport. But um, we're excited to kind of kick off the 24 um, campaign. You get through all the recruiting and. And you try to breathe a little bit in February as you also get ready for spring practice to begin. And um, and here we are, jump back into it. And um, we're day one into spring with day two being today. And um, then spring break happens. And and then we really get down to business when we put the pads on uh, when we return. So there's been a lot of positive things, I think, in our building uh, since January. Uh, many of those are coming from the player-led um, arena, which uh, I love. I, I really think player-led teams are the best teams. And our culture council that uh, was elected by our team has done an incredible job of setting uh, the standard to which they expect things to be. Uh, we presented that to the team in January. It was uh, accepted by all, and so once we accept it, then we all have to be accountable to that standard. And and that that unit of of leadership has done a really nice job of of saying, hey, if if we say our lockers should look like this, then there's got to be you know accountability to every area, uh, from the training table to academics to the way we approach work, to our timeliness, our effort. And um, been really, really pleased with uh, the leadership that I'm seeing from that group, and 
Um, the energy that was at practice Tuesday, I thought, was really, really nice and, and a carryover from everything that we've seen since they've come back uh, from the Christmas break and and had um, works with our strength staff. And so excited about what I see uh, heading into, you know, spring number two for us. Hugh, what's, what's the biggest difference you've seen from a program standpoint from day day one of spring last year, not on the necessarily on the field, but just overall one year in heading into spring yeah. number two? Accountability, uh, no question to the little things. Um, it uh, <clears throat> it seemed that uh, we were just way too casual about um, our approach and and a, and a lot of things to me, and that's not an indication on that's an indication on staff, players, all of us, and um, I think the kids sensed it. I think we sensed it, and and that's in our meetings in January. We said we can't take that approach and. And um, if it's not addressed, then things tend to be repeated. And I need everyone to be accountable to whatever we say the standard is. And and truthfully, you know, the older I get, the the more I probably uh, need players to help me uh, see. All right, maybe that's an unreasonable standard, Coach. You know, because things have changed some. And and so it was really big for me that the players would sit down and say, "Are you? I want you to present to me. What do you think the standard should be? And let me, if I think y'all are way way off, I'm going to say it, and and you do the same for me. And um, and we just had some really good conversations, and they came up with the presentation, and I just approved it because I did a, agree with their approach, and then presented it to the team. So I think that's the biggest difference I've seen thus far is just. Uh, there's a different energy too that comes with that, and to know there's just there's no compromise. Um, we hold each other accountable, and if you're one of the ones being held accountable and you don't like it, that's part of life. And um, because we agreed that this was the standard, and and so I think that's the biggest difference I see. Coach, you said after the bowl game you would have an open QB competition this spring. What does that look like, and you know how do you narrow down this spring to make sure you're doing that in the most effective way? Yeah, that's uh, the hardest thing is when you have four guys that you really want to get looks at is is getting them all quality reps. Um, we we would chart every single rep and endo every single rep on footwork. Um, I've got a team of three guys that are charged with that and um, decision making execution and um, getting them quality reps. Obviously, uh, you, you're going to get really good looks at Peyton and Holden and, and Hank, and and then you want to get Walker some because he's, he, I think he's so talented. I mean, his arm strength's phenomenal. He made throws the other day that are, are I mean, it takes great arm strength to, to make, but he's swimming and everything's coming at him really fast right now, and uh, we've got to find a way to slow that down and get him quality reps too. So it's it's a challenge to do that, but – we're going to find out who who grades out the best at at leading our football team and executing the the the, the plan that we're putting in place. And uh, you only do that through through great reps. We're we're going to spend a lot of time um, doing a little something different this year on, on Tuesdays and Saturdays when we return from spring break. Are really going to be high load days, uh, padded days. Thursdays we're going to just teach. Uh, I mean, just teach, be great coaches and teachers. And I think that's going to help our quarterbacks also and our young receivers, who I'm really excited about, 
but we got to teach them a lot of things. And so we're going to uh, take that approach this, uh, this spring, but you got to get out the quarterbacks, the reps and see who executes day one. It was a very, very challenge. Y'all were out there. Very, the win was – that was a challenging day for quarterbacks um, for sure. I thought Hank Brown threw it extremely well in those conditions and anxious to see his continued growth along with the others. Well, I, every spot is wide open in my mind right now. Now, let me be clear. I think Peyton has done an incredible job since January of taking the leadership role and setting the standard. Do I think it's his to lose? Yes. But um, he's got to go earn it every day. And uh, we're not in a position where we can just say that it's, it's given to somebody. He, he's got to, you know, we're changing uh, our whole verbiage, our whole system back to what I'm comfortable with. And um, I need to see who has the best grasp on that. You, now that you're starting a full season again, uh, looking back on last year, were there lessons that you learned professionally, things that you kind of gleaned from that experience? Oh, you know, I think every experience we have, if we're not learning, then we're we're probably wasting an opportunity. And, um, you know, there's some things that, that I'd rather probably not talk about that, that I learned. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, my word for 2024 is truth. I just want just unashamed truth. No half truths. No, just, just hit me right between the eyes and I'll do the same with you. And, um, you know, I, I think you've always got to be really, really comfortable um, with your surroundings and with um, the culture that is being created. And, you know, last year was frustrating in, in the fact that I did not think I was able to reach a group of kids to be consistent um, in, in every single game and every single practice. And that was the most frustrating thing. And so I have to look at that and I have to go study, you know, why, why uh, you know, did I not, could I not reach that group to, to, you know, we should have won a few more games. And so you have to look at those things and, and evaluate yourself, your approach, your staff, and, and obviously your team too, your roster. And, um, you know, we can point to, to a lot of different things, but ultimately it's my job to, to make sure that the approach is one that our kids are, are giving Auburn University its best every single opportunity that we get. And in this new day and age, um, you know, my, my way of, man, it's the love for your school and the love for your teammates and the love for each other that that should be the greatest motivation. Um, I think I've got to adjust that some. I still believe in it wholeheartedly. Um, but that approach to get that through is is uh, more challenging in, in these days and times. But I still believe in it firmly. And um, But, yes, there was a lot of lessons that uh, hopefully we all learned and we'll make adjustments and improvements on. Talking about changes, you've got quite a few changes in the, in the staff. Just uh, uh, you've got relationships, prior relationships where the offense, it would seem like, would be able to be on the same page pretty quickly. But just talk about the, uh, uh, the changes there and, and your, your yeah. coaches. 
Well, I mean, obviously we we're, we're you know we support Zach and Cadillac and their decisions, and you know Zach's not Houston and Cadillac's with the the Raiders, and we wish them the best. And um, but you know I I'm so comfortable with Derek Nix and Ken Austin and Maurice Harris is back in the building and um, just just really comfortable. Um, they know my terminology. Um, they've been with me before. Um, it's been exciting to see Derek's growth as a coach and uh, to watch him lead now in that room and and to hear him talk about you know things and 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 me listen to him and Kent go back and forth with Ben and Jake and and Marcus and and having Mo in there is, is, as an analyst is big um, because he's been with me so many years. So I, there, there's no question that it's. Um, and I have no one to blame but myself. It's not. Uh, this is not a, uh, a negative toward anyone else. Um, but yes, I'm very much more comfortable walking down the halls and walking in the offensive room and saying, "All right, now I know what that means, and that the adjustment I'm going to do off that if they do this comes naturally to me." And um, excited to to again see Derek step into a leadership role there and along with the, the other guys that we have. So defensively, um, you know, hated to lose JG, um, truthfully, you know, kind of raised him and he played for me and to see his growth. But um, I totally understand it. But then really excited to give Von Trail a shot. And he fit, falls in the mode of the other guys I've hired through the years from Chris Kiffin to Trey Scott to Freddie Roach to to JG and they've all done really really well and I expect Von Trail to do the same and um, so excited about his energy that he brings and he's who the kids really wanted uh, too so it's good that we were kind of in alignment there then DJ Durkin brings just a, a vast amount of experience and really when um, we interviewed him um, it's probably the it's the first defensive guy I've really interviewed that I felt like he coached defense like we coach offense and I had the whole staff in there and 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 everybody f kind of felt the same way that um man I, I get that that makes sense it's simple and our kids can play fast and he is so detailed and demands effort and energy and um just have been really really pleased with his leadership on that side and and then in personnel, getting Will Redmond from LSU. I've always had great admiration for him and the job he's done. He's doing a really nice job and adding Kenyatta to that group. Um, I think we just we got a lot stronger in, in a lot of areas, and I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, Charles Kelly. I mean, I, I feel like he's been with me forever. That's a guy you're around a week and you're like, man, you're like my brother. You know, I mean, everybody knows Charles Kelly. And uh, what a what a great mentor and great coach he is, and not to speak of the number of guys he's recruited, and um, and he's returning to a place he loves, and so to have him and um, and DJ leading our defense there is um, I'm, I'm real comfortable with that also. Hugh, a lot has happened since January. What's spring feel like in the SEC without Nick Saban in Alabama? Yeah, we actually talked this morning because it's next week's spring break and we're trying to arrange a little golf match. And uh, uh, it's different uh, for sure. Uh, we need his voice 
to help us try to change some things, and I think he's willing to do that um, because he has a great love for this sport. And um, and we all kind of respect each other in, in different ways, depending on your relationships. But, um, you know, it is – I understand it. I, I get it. I mean, he's done it at a high, high level for a long time, and I'm sure – he and Miss Terry wanted to enjoy some some different type of lifestyle, and but I do think he still has an itch to try to help the game, and and he'll have a voice to do that. I do think it also. You know, I've known Kalen a long time. You know, we were both in NAIA together. Uh, I was at Lambeth, and he was at Sioux Falls, and uh, so I've known him for a long time. And he's a, he's a great human being and a great football coach that uh, has uh, some big shoes to fill, but. Um, I respect him and the job that he'll do, but it's it's definitely uh, you feel like um, it, it all could be fool's gold without hard work and and success. But it, you do feel like man, there might be an opening, you know, to to capitalize on on why not Auburn right now, and um, that'll be our message. And I'm sure they'll have a strong message too. And both will still get good players and. Um, it'll be, but it is a, a different feel knowing Nick's not in the game right now. And uh, just a follow up, how has that absence, I guess, changed the league already? Um, there wasn't a, in our most recent SEC head coaches meeting. There, 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 there wasn't a guy that was willing to yell and scream as much uh, in there. We got to find out who that guy is. I think it's going to be Kirby. Um, he, it comes a little more natural to him when, when, when we don't like something, uh, voicing it. We always kind of depended on Nick to, to, to voice that in a forceful manner for us. And uh, um, I think that's probably going to be given to Kirby. Um, but it hadn't, you know. I, I don't think the game has changed so much that it's it's really it's really hard to separate, you know, Nick's departure from all this other stuff we got going on. And um, the game is just constantly changing. Even now, I guess they're in Indianapolis, I believe, and deciding if we're having five or ten signing days, or I don't know how many how many we're we up to now. And um, um, I, I don't know. The game is definitely changing, and we're all searching for uh, some parameters and sanity around it. And truthfully, um, I'm not sure anybody has the exact solution um, to what protects our game. It's it's one that we all love so much, and it has such passion and energy, and unfortunately. It's tied to a lot of money too, which which is part of the part of the dynamic that causes us all, you know, some of these issues. And um, but boy, I sure don't want our game to 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 lose what it's meant to so many people over the years. Even you guys who have great jobs to cover the what I think is the greatest sport. Um, but it is in danger, I think, of of us, you know losing some of the love that people may have for it because of uh, all the, the different dynamics that are going on. And I think all of us are just searching for, man, give us some some parameters that uh, that we all can work within and have some type of sanity and peace around particularly building your roster and maintaining it. 
you wanted to ask you what stands out about your about a two dozen newcomers, and specifically uh, Percy Lewis on the offensive line, Kim Coleman at wide receiver, and Jaron Thompson at safety. Uh, boy, glad we got all three of those. Let me tell you, Percy is a big human being, and uh, he moves a lot better than you give him credit for. Now, his biggest uh, – I love his demeanor. He's just one of those country boys that drove a bulldozer and motorcycles. I don't know how he got on a motorcycle that big, but um, that's one of the first things I told him is no more motorcycles. And he's, oh, coach, I've tasted that asphalt many times. And I said, you need to stay off of that. Um, but he, he's just a fun kid to be around. Now, the biggest challenge right now is he's only played in the air raid. And and that's quite different than what we're going to ask him to do. And uh, but I was really impressed with his first practice and the way he bends and moves. Cam Coleman, God, just makes us look different. Um, can't tell you how excited I am about him. I just I don't want to put too much expectations on him as a freshman because he is just a freshman. And and. I know you guys don't want to hear it, but we're still in the early stages of building this program, particularly the way we're choosing to build it, hopefully through high school. And um, But, man, when you, you watch him run around out there, it's, uh, it's we, we've improved ourselves, and he's naturally gifted. And I expect him to play as a freshman. Now, you know, how well is he going to do as a freshman? I, I, we've had one practice, so it's really hard to say. But, boy, he's, he's talented and smooth and tracks the ball as well as any uh, that I've seen. Uh, last one was uh, Thompson. Uh, love his energy. Love his knowledge of the game. He knows all three spots back there. He's been a leader, and he hadn't been here long. And um, he's vocal. He's played at a high level, at a good program. And I um, think he's going to be really invaluable for us back there, being able to play multiple positions and uh, help lead us. Because I like our young ones back there, too. They had a really good first practice. Those young guys are talented, but they need some experience back there like him and Keontae to, to kind of bring them along. Hugh, you guys lost a couple of big guys on the defensive line, but you've got transfers, you've got freshmen coming in. What, what are you expecting to see this spring? What do you want to see, I should say, from this spring from that defensive line group as they kind of get a little overhauled a little bit? Yeah, I think the biggest question mark we have right now is the, the interior, the, the girth on the interior, losing, you know, Marcus and Justin and, um, and Lawrence. You know, we lost – you know, some, some guys that played significant snaps for us and two of our most productive ones. Um, you know, excited to get those transfers in here, plus the young guys. I love our young class. I tell you, Morris and Waller are, are different now. They can bend, they can move. But, again, they're just freshmen. Uh, Gage had a really good first practice as did Trill, and uh, we're going to need those two to step in. We need Jason Jones to really, you know, come on and be, be the guy. And um, and play every snap with 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 great passion and energy. And Bobby is is got to come on, and he's got the tools. We believe DJ Reed's gonna move inside. You know, so we've got some guys in there. Um, I do think we will still be searching in the spring portal for some more depth there, and maybe one more edge guy. Obviously. Um, Falk has been an incredible leader for a sophomore. He's just he's taking it under he's taking it as his mission to lead that that front and he's easy to follow because he does it the right way. 
and um, been good to see that also. And J-Mac, obviously healthy, um, is a handful, but excited about those young kids behind them too. Hugh, you mentioned you know, the offense now being more in your hands. I guess, what would you like that to look like? I know it's early, and, and maybe what are going to be some of the big differences that, that we might notice from Well, I want to get back to the only thing I've known that, that's given us success everywhere we've been is, is the RPO-driven run game and then the play action passes off of it. And, um, you know, in order to do that, you've got to have a receiver or three that can win in some one-on-ones and quarterbacks that can execute it. And I do think our quarterbacks can do that. And the unknown right now is, all right, if they do play us an extra hat in the box, do we have the, the slot that's going to go in? Do we have the boundary X that's going to go in? Um, and that's what, you know, is uh, I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, and so I don't want to leave here with – the receivers thinking I was already after day one. I, I'm excited, and um, and hopeful, and optimistic. But that's what we've got to be. Is and you add the version of tempo to that. Depending on, I think we'll be able to go as fast as anybody in the country we have in the past. Is that smart? I don't know yet. Um, exactly what that looks like of how much we'll do that. But we're, we're certainly going to be prepared to. Hey, you talking about defense? What what are some things you expect to be different under Durkin compared to last year under under Ron Roberts? What are some What do you think it's going to look like? Yeah, well, you know, we were pretty good a lot of the year on defense, truthfully, and um, I, I just I think we're going to be more uh, consistent in our effort and not give up as many explosive plays. Hopefully, um, that's what I was really impressed with. His whole deal is, man, we're building every call we make from top down, and our deal is we we don't give up. <laughs> these explosive plays. And we gave up too many in critical moments. And, um, and you know, Ron did a great job of calling games and is a brilliant defensive coach. Um, I do think uh, DJ is going to bring a different energy and different uh, feel to that side of the ball and hopefully improve linebacker play, which uh, we need Eugene and Austin and those guys. And obviously to get uh, Mossy here. I've been really impressed with him too. What a mature kid he is and brilliant football man. I hope hey. we get the same stats he produced at A&M in year one. That would be pretty nice. Hey, Hugh, uh, back to the quarterbacks for a second. Uh, a lot goes into that position, but for your offense, the way you want that, that offense to, to move and to go, what would you say are the three most important characteristics or attributes of a quarterback in a Hugh Freeze offense? Uh, decision making, number one. Accuracy, number two. And I'm sorry. Take care of the ball, number one. <laughs> decision making, number two, and then accuracy, number three. Um, obviously, you get into four and five, you're talking about the leadership qualities that a team wants to be with you. And I've had it. Um, Chad Kelly at Ole Miss, the year we won the Sugar Bowl, was uh, um, Chad knows I love him. We talk all the time, but uh, not many hung out with him when he left the locker room sometimes. But I'm going to tell you what, there was not a single guy that didn't want him in that huddle. Um, and that's you want that in your quarterback is that, man, the huddle wants you in there. And I'm looking for somebody to really earn that this uh, this spring and fall. 
Coach, earlier you touched on accountability and how your word for 2024 is truth. Is there a phrase or theme that's been selected for this team this season? Uh, not yet, but I'm working on a spring break. As I've got a book that I'm really excited about reading next week, and it's called Think Ahead. And uh, I've already read a couple chapters, and I think my whole teaching series will come from that book. I asked the author uh, two days ago if he was okay with me uh, with me using his stuff, and uh, he said, yes, go for it. So um, come after spring break, we'll kind of start. The word for spring practice is casual, and I want it with a big X. And um, and so that's kind of our approach in spring, and then I'll start developing kind of our our themes along with the culture council. I'll let them have a have a say in it. I can't believe you read books. I haven't read a book in ten years. God bless you. I don't read many, but um, uh, I try to read at least two a year. Try to make it count. I got you. Yeah. Um, listen, Lane Kiffin is a joker on social media. You know that. Yeah. I almost felt like he was trying to dare you into hiring Derek Nix. What did you make of what he was trying to do to you there? Look, uh, I love Lane. I love his family. And um, I, y'all, believe it or not, I'm not reading a lot of Twitter these days. So I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, but. You know, Nick's. I hired him first, so I guess I have. I have a right to him. I don't know. No, that was up to Derek as to what he as to what he wanted to do, and um, I'm glad he chose to come with us. But um, Lane, whatever he's doing is working for him. It seems. Well, let's see. I had a couple, but back to the when you're talking accountability and and a lot of it coming from your players. Who were some of the guys that that you felt stepped up as leaders through the off season and winter workouts? Uh, let's see. I'll go in the running back room. Damari Austin and Jarquez. Uh, quarterback Peyton is on it. Tight end Luke Deal. O line Connor Lou and D Wade. Um, receiver Jay Fair. He's done a really nice job. Um, defense J Mac. Uh, Keldrick Falk, um, Eugene, Keontae, Champ, Anthony. He's done a really nice job of leading. I hope – how many was that, 12? Did I forget anybody? I hope I didn't. But um, those, those are guys that really have taken the leadership and saying, you know, if if one of our guys has to – um, need some enrichment um, for not reading, meeting the standard, then we, we want to we handle it. And it's agreement we have with our positions, and um, I've been really pleased with, with their leadership. Coach, um, last spring you talked about guys ending up on lists and maybe how you felt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also said last spring that it, Auburn has the resources to make kids feel blessed, but that can't come with entitlement. Yeah. How's the team doing with both those things? Yeah, well, I think that's probably the most improvement when I say accountability. It's, it's these lists are way down, and there's nobody turning an eye to them anymore, and even not the list. It's as it's, it's simple as the locker. This is the picture of our lockers, and this is the way it should look every single day, and um, we should be accountable to that. And that's not too big of an expectation. I, I'm still afraid that – I talked to an NFL guy. I'm off on my tangent again, Mike, so forgive me. But And they're, 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 
frustrated with some of the things that we're, we're uh, I say we, that is coming to them now from the college game. Like one of them this morning, I honestly had a conversation in this NFL scout says, do you believe that, that there's kids that are wanting to know their, their NIL agreement to come to the combine? And, and they're just like, man, we don't even know if they know how to work through something that's hard. And, and we're going to give them a, you know, a four-year contract or, or draft them where, you know, collective bargaining now slots them. And, and that's the truth that people like me that are older, I'm not running from. And I'm telling our kids, I'm just telling you all the hard truths. Life is not always as easy as, as you have it that's creating this entitlement if you're not careful. And, and you're setting yourself up to possibly fail at what's bigger down the road, whether it's family or job or NFL, if, if we don't handle the things that come our way right now. So, yeah, you're blessed. Auburn has the resources to bless you. But at some point, you have to earn the right to be blessed. And you have to continue to do that. And it's not given. It, it must be earned. And um, so I do think, you know, we're, we're a lot further along with having those honest discussions. And I had a full year to recruit the class, and we got to know each other, and I got to be very candid with them, and and they could be candid with us, and we, we didn't get very many in the portal. Um, I was intentional with the high school kids, and not that we didn't go after some portal, but I was. It was. Just, it seemed like it was for the wrong reasons um, in a lot of ways, and you now I, I may have to adjust my approach to that, you know. But I sure would. I believe in our administration here. I think they're going to give us time to build this the right way. I know that everybody wants it to happen immediate, including me. Um, but I sure want to, to build something that's sustainable. And that's still a juggling act uh, for me and in trying to figure out exactly what that looks like and how to do that with the portal world and the building a culture and um, and, you know, I'd like to do it through the high school primarily. And the hardest thing is figuring out how many of yours you're retaining, you know, when you we begged them at our at our SEC head coaches meeting, man, give us a – after the season, we ought to be able to give Mike a contract and say, hey, you're coming back, and you sign it, and I know you're coming back before you go home for Christmas. And then all of a sudden I get to January, and I I don't know who's coming back. And it's uh, – the challenges we face with that are real and very, very difficult to – how do you really build a team – that is consistent from year to year with some of the the, the current ways we have. Um, and hopefully there's – I know they're discussing some changes even this week, even right now probably. So that was the full press conference today of Auburn football head coach Hugh Freeze. Again, talking many things about, say, the program and uh, spring practice as that gets going here in 2024. Again, they'll have the off week next week for spring break, and then they'll go at it three days a week until A-Day. You heard in there uh, you're going to have uh, Tuesday and Saturday in pads. You're going to have Thursdays with teaching and film room and that sort of stuff. So we'll break some of that down coming up in hour number three, but we are out of time for hour number two. Again, still ahead with Will 
uh, break down some of the thoughts we have from listening to Coach Hugh Freeze today and about spring practice for Auburn, what we've seen so far. Also a little bit more about Auburn and Tennessee basketball and where the Tigers sit in the SEC race uh, and some of the play last night. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon turning to evening. Uh, Again, appreciate uh, the ability to uh, go to the Hugh Freeze presser today, uh, play the audio right there. Also heard from Butch Thompson earlier today uh, about the baseball team as they were successful in the midweek against Sanford. They've got an interesting series with UConn, weather permitting, uh, this weekend. I think Friday will be uh, by far the worst. I think Saturday and Sunday they'll be able to play baseball. Friday night I'm not as confident about, uh, but uh, interesting to hear that as uh, Auburn, I believe, is out to a 7-1 and or 6-1 and start uh, on the season. Uh, and so uh, with that in mind, again, we did hear from Coach Hugh Freeze. You just heard that played in the previous hour. And, um, again, talking a, a good bit about quarterbacks, talking a good bit about these newcomers and talking – uh, a little bit about the accountability in the program. Uh, it was interesting to hear, too, um, some comments about coaching staffs. Just what stood out to you, Brooks, about uh, some of Hugh Freeze's thoughts, where the program is standing right now as they enter year two? Um, honestly, I, I think one of the biggest uh, surprises was, for me, was when he came straight out and said that it was Peyton Thorne's job to lose. You know, he, after the bowl game, he said it was an open competition, and he, and he reiterated that today, but he, he also you know, kind of set out that Peyton Thorne was the clear front runner for it because he said it's it's his job to lose. If if he does everything right this spring, if he does everything right in the fall and the summer, uh, he's going to be the starting quarterback for the Auburn Tigers when they, they run out there in that first game of the year. Um, and so I, I think that was a little surprising to act to, to – and I guess it, it shouldn't be, but it's it's I guess it's surprising that he was – that you hear a football coach be that candid and be like, hey – 
this is where we're at. This is, you know, in, instead of, well, you know, him hawing around doing some coach speak and be like, well, we like everybody. We like all this other stuff. But, you know, he came right out and said, yeah, Peyton Thorne, this is his job to lose right now. And so uh, it was refreshing yet surprising to to hear that a little bit that it was, you know, clear front. We were like, this is what we're doing. One practice in. We, this is our, you know, th- this is the plan as of right now. If, if things change, things change. Um you know, it, it, it didn't really, you know, you talked about getting back to, uh, at least offensively, getting back to the, the RPOs with the, the play-action passing. Uh, you know, you, he mentioned it a lot last year of him, you know, he, we we heard him in a lot of press conferences last year get asked about that. He said, yeah, I'd like to run a few more. I'd like to run a few more. And we saw a little bit of that in, in this year, but it really felt like the the combination of Philip Montgomery's offense and Hugh Freeze's offense felt more Philip Montgomery esque than it did Hugh Freeze esque. And you know the you you know you, when you give up play calling, uh, it, it, you know that's that's probably going to tend to happen there. And so now that you're you're getting a guy in in, in Derek Nix that is a, a guy that has worked with Hugh before. Hugh Freeze you know mentioned that he hired him at Ole Miss, and so it, it's uh, it, you know you're, you're getting that the offense is back into the Hugh Freeze realm. Um, I, I think that it's going to be, you know, you're going to start seeing this year more of what Hugh Freeze wants to see out of the the offensive identity uh, of this program. And then, you know, defensively, uh, when he mentioned, you know, talked about DJ Durkin and everything, and he talked about how Ron Roberts didn't do a bad job this past year. Obviously, he wasn't let go. He left on his own to go to Florida uh, and take over or go down to to join the Gator staff with Billy Napier. Um, I think that it's, you know, he, he talked about it. Uh, DJ Durkin's a guy that he said, quote, runs his defense like we run our offense. And so it, it's, you know, it, it, two new coordinators on the plains, I think, is going to be a big adjustment. Uh, not like he's had that adjustment before. He had it last year with two new coordinators. Um, but it's, it, I think, finally now, and you, you kind of heard it in that presser, that he's got the guys that he really wants here. He's got some guys that he's really familiar with. Um, and he, he's, I, I think he's excited to get back to uh, running his brand of offense there at Auburn. Well, and you bring up the offense. That was, uh, I think, maybe the biggest thing I took away uh, outside of the quarterbacks, which you also brought up. The thought I had a couple days ago when I asked, I remember I asked on the show, is there anything that these quarterbacks can do to make you feel much more confident in them coming into the season. And the general sentiment is no, not really. Uh, the one thing I mentioned that would be interesting to hear throughout the spring about is Hugh Freeze's assessment of the decision-making of Peyton Thorne because they did not run a lot of RPOs last year, but when they did, it seemed earlier in the year. And that was something that even when Thorne was having a couple of you know perfectly fine performances against the lesser competition – uh, he was still grading his decision making as missing some, uh, making some poor decisions with the reads and stuff. Well, now you go into this year, and now he is go ahead and, and telling you, we are going to run more RPOs. Where our play action is going to come off the RPOs, uh, we're going to do this more, and that's something where I think you could get a better feel for it just based off the honesty of the coaching staff. To where, okay, maybe Peyton Thorne can at least improve in that and in, in reading the, the correct aspect of the play and making the correct decision in the RPO. I think that is something that is reasonable to maybe take away from it. Now, how he's going to process the information against these other teams and 
can these guys, as he Reese talked about, uh, win one-on-one matchups? You know, that is what's going to determine the outcome of the plays ultimately. But um, I think that one of the things, one of the several things that Peyton Thorpe could clearly improve on from last year was they did not seem very pleased with him and the few RPOs that they did run. And if that's going to be a huge part of what they do this year, which, again, Hugh Freeze basically told you it would, that they're going to go back to that, then the decision-making needs to be better. Because if you're already missing a couple of decisions when you're not running many of them, imagine how many decisions, if you do it 20 or 25 times in a game, that you end up uh, messing up or, or making uh, the wrong read or that sort of thing. So uh, I do think it's interesting that, kind of being forthcoming saying we didn't do a lot of this last year that made me uncomfortable we're now going to do this again uh it's what i know to have to have worked at this level uh there you go you're going to see a lot of rpos again um in 2024 and and he says peyton thorns to lose i would imagine that he would have to uh have again a regression or or maybe maybe just no improvement but maybe even a regression on how he reads the stuff um, it was a little contradictory to talk about how those guys have been there, but also to say we're, we're changing the terminology back uh, to, to what Hugh Freeze is comfortable with. So that is inherently a little contradictory. But, uh, yeah, I was a little surprised, I guess. But at the same time, with some of the rhetoric you had at the end of last year where they were almost handing the job to Thorne and then they had to backtrack it, um, clearly they have believed – uh, throughout most of the process that Thorne would be their guy in 2024. And I think it's going to be one of those situations we've talked about in the past with other quarterbacking jobs. It, once Thorne loses the job, it would be hard for him confidence-wise and realistically to regain it. I think that as a guy with one year left of eligibility, if you are going to give the job to someone else, you got to be sure about it because that's going to close the book on – on Thorne, whereas if if Thorne wins it and you have uh, younger guys behind him, they're still working and working and working for the opportunity and uh, trying to knock on the door and that sort of thing. Now, obviously, you got to get right, you got to get the best guy out there, but Thorne would probably have that to his advantage too. Not saying that's a good thing, but uh, maybe maybe a reality of, of just being someone that's already been the starter and it's down to one year of eligibility. But again, I, I'm. I know you're going to hear people in the media throughout the spring say, oh, I really think that these guys are so much better and they're throwing a great ball in practice. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. I don't care what it looks like in practice, quite frankly. Uh, we, we saw it on the field last year. Under 100 passing yards in multiple games is unbelievable, and it's not the good kind. And so we're going to have to see on the field. Uh, but like I said, I can at least uh, appreciate that if there are better decisions being made in practice, okay, I would, I would hope that would translate – and how you're reading uh, reading defenses and, and running the RPO game uh, in the real games in the fall. But, uh, yeah, no, I thought uh, interesting stuff for sure. Also one thing, I and maybe this is just from not uh, reading or hearing everything that every coach says, but uh, seemed to be very much about the players trying to help lead this team too, establishing a leadership council where the, the players voted on it and, uh, it really sounds like they are that he is uh, wanting a lot of leadership out of the team. So I'd imagine that's something else in year two where you would have a better feel about all the leaders and uh, and their roles in the program and knowing what it takes and, and that sort of thing. So some some interesting stuff there for sure. Again, Auburn will break for spring break uh, next week, and then they'll have uh, several weeks in a row there practicing three times a week before 
uh, Auburn 8A on the 6th of April. And then, again, I believe the transfer portal window opens April the 15th. Uh, and you also heard in that uh, Freeze already talk, talking about probably trying to get another defensive lineman or two. Of course, we all speculate what happens at quarterback if Thorne has a bad spring. That you got to have someone worth your while get in the portal, but uh, that could be a, a bridge we cross at some point. But uh, already kind of saying, hinting at looking at some defensive linemen is interesting. Um, any other position you guys could see uh, before we take our next break? Any other position, not not quarterback, and then again, defensive line being mentioned here. Any other position you guys could see Auburn taking another look at after the spring? I know it's very early. We got to see them first, but uh, just something that you maybe you're a little more unsure about that might need more attention in the portal. I think um, I think that's a really good question. Um, I could see D line. I think that's one of those positions where you know extra bodies. You know, maybe you could get a starter. Maybe you get a depth piece where you know that's one of those positions where you know. Uh, more is better because it's just such a demanding, absolutely demanding role because you are just getting punished every single play and injuries happen all the time. You get, you know, you get hit low, you know, you get, you know, running back falls into your ankle. You know, it's, it is a brutal position. So absolutely that defensive line, either the interior or the exterior, if I was Auburn, I think that'd be the way that I was looking and um, who knows, maybe uh, some stud pass rusher and there's the portal. Maybe you can go all in after that, or maybe you get, you know, a gap eater, maybe a big defensive tackle and there's a portal that could maybe be a depth piece. You know, I think there's a lot of good ways to go about it. And I, uh, I think Auburn should look towards the defensive line. What about you, Brooks? Offensive line. Uh, I, I think that this is a, it still continues to be a, a point of, of need for Auburn. And until I tell you what, until we get a, a full uh, recruiting class cycle thing of offensive linemen, I'm going to continue to say offensive line going forward because, uh, it, you know, I, I think you asked the Auburn fan base and I, I know I sound like a broken record. I, I often do. Um, but since the middle of the Gus Malzahn era, we've heard and, you know, we've, we've been some of us have been doing this radio show since the, the middle, the end of the Gus Malzahn era. And we've taken your phone calls, and we've 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 heard you that everybody wants offensive linemen. That's the, been the biggest problem for for Auburn recruiting was offensive linemen, offensive linemen, offensive linemen. And until and until you get a you start getting offensive line classes that rival some of the bigger schools in the SEC. Um, I think that that's a that's a point that Auburn needs to do. I you you brought in you know I, I know you you've gone to the portal and you've gotten some offensive linemen, but you signed in your high school signing class this year one offensive lineman, that, uh, Dre Carter out of California, and that's just not how you win football games in the SEC. Um, and it's you you've got to go out and you've got to have full classes of offensive linemen. You've got to have. Uh, more depth there. You, you've got to be able to protect your quarterback. You're, there's three big positions you have on a football team. You get a quarterback, you get someone to protect your quarterback, you get someone to go get the other quarterback. And so I think we, we've kind of just hit on all three of that position. You know, Ryan, you mentioned what Auburn could do if Peyton Thorne doesn't have a, a good spring when they go back to the, the portal. We've talked about that for a while. Uh, TP, you just mentioned defensive line, which is the, the plug-in of going and getting their quarterback. I'm gonna men- I mentioned the part protecting your quarterback because that that's a huge huge part of it. So uh, I think that you can never have too too many offensive linemen on your roster. Yeah, that, I would agree with that. They did sign two offensive linemen in the 
uh, cycle. The second was Favor Edwin, the big 6'8 right. tackle out of uh, McDonough, Georgia. But uh, still, nevertheless, you got to fill five spots. And uh, they did bring back some guys, obviously. And then uh, Hugh Freeze did single out Percy Lewis, or I believe he was asked about it. Uh, and uh, Percy Lewis out of Mississippi State is a load. Uh, interesting point about coming into a more of an RPO-based offense versus a air raid. I mean, t- to be fair, just about anything different than air raid. Um, but still a big boy that they expect to contribute absolutely this year and uh, seemed already very impressed with him, uh, even just one or two practices in. As we go to our next timeout, uh, we have another ticket giveaway for Auburn baseball. The first caller at 334 334- 887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 gets four tickets to Auburn baseball against UConn this Saturday. It's a Saturday afternoon affair in Plainsman Park. Again, the first caller, four tickets to the 1 p.m. game against UConn this Saturday in Plainsman Park, 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports call returns after this timeout. For another way to listen to our show, be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. As always, we appreciate all those that are tuning in, whether it's live or after the fact, on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, available wherever you may get your podcast. Uh, so something else that Hugh Freeze mentioned, made a joke about it, but I did want to bring up as a topic at some point, so let's go ahead and bring it up here. Uh, was some news, uh, I believe yesterday, some reporting that um, there are considerations for a potential third signing period. Um, Right now, of course, we have the later, mid to late December signing period. We have early February. Well, there are discussions about including a signing period at late June and then moving up the late December signing period to uh, early December, I believe the first week after the season, and then maintaining a February signing period. I think you boys are both already distressed. Um, thoughts on this, the logic for and against it, what do you think? I think it's terrible. Well, let's, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. I think it's bad because here's the problem. Why would you move it up? For whenever it's during conference championship week, all right? And now I know that that's only a select few. 
But most of the time, if you're in those conference championship games, you are still recruiting pretty dang high. You know, you're having to hold on to your players and whatnot. And, you know, and the coaches are already stressed enough because, you know, I mean, that's a very stressful week, obviously. So why are we saying, you know what? On top of that, we're going to start throwing on the early signing day, which is already chaos within itself. I mean, look at last year. I mean, look at last December. I mean, you had people flipping here, there, and everywhere. It didn't matter who, what, when, or where, or why. It was just really, really chaotic. And that was, you know, in the middle of December. I think that is fine. I think moving up is terrible, though, and I think it would just cause the coach. You know, there's a big discussion right now. The murmurs are, are happening right now. Oh, you know, it's probably a better idea to be an NFL coach than a college coach. This would just triple down on that thought because that would be so awful for head coaches because that'd just be bad. And my question is, who would be signing in the summer? Would it be like... I would it or that's the confusing thing. I mean, who would be signing? Would it be from the previous class? Would it be the class of you know from that last year where the kid signed in December, or would it be early? Would it be the earliest signing day, or would it be the latest? That's a that's that's my question because I don't want you know you see kids all the time. We see it happen. Kids commit in June, and you know they they you know all one hundred percent committed. And come October, you know, they decommit because, you know, it could be a variety of things. So if it's the earliest signing day, I think that'd be pointless. I think you would have a lot of kids who would make, you know, a decision that they probably wouldn't fully be invested in. So I think it's dumb. I don't know who's making some of these decisions because now we're just throwing out the 14-team playoff and all this other bull crap and whatnot. So I think it's really bad and I don't like it. I don't like it one bit, Ryan. And Brooks, the way that you were looking earlier, I think you have a similar feeling that I do, do you? I'm just exasperated. <laughs> I, okay. I just want to... Exhausted? Exhausted? Yeah, yeah. It's... I just... I want to know what the reasoning is because to, to move... Because you're already complaining... You know, everybody already complains about the the signing period in December, how, how soon it is after the season... And you're in the middle of coaching searches. You're you're in the middle of trying to make decisions on this. What what's going to happen is you you move this signing period up a couple more weeks. Um, you're going to have coaches fired even sooner into the season uh, if if you know you're going to make a change because you you've got to then try to get somebody. But then again, you can't get anybody till the end of the season because nobody's going to leave there. Going to say, yeah, I'm I'm coming to your school. Uh, during the middle of their season when they're trying to continue to compete for titles and, and win games at their current school. It's just, why, what, what, is, I, what is the why? Why? Um, I, I think the June date, uh, the June date feels like it could be used for guys that just want to go ahead and get it out of the way, enjoy their senior year of football, and... Um, and go, you know, go into a fall where I'm like, all right, I'm already going here. You know, I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, going and, and visiting other schools. I'm, I'm committed to this school. I'm, I'm signed with this school. I can't do anything until a transfer portal window uh, comes open. Um, but then again, if, if, you know, let's say that you are, a, you know, graduate in May and you're like, I don't want to sign till June. Well, then you've got to, like, coaches are then going to have to, compete and for and continue to, to recruit that class into the summer where they're already trying to figure out what their rosters looked like uh from this past uh from this past year 
it's it, it feels like the NCAA, and it feels like people know there's a coaching not a coaching crisis, but there's a coaching. The coaches are not happy in the in the NCAA right now, and they're not doing anything to alleviate that. They're they're trying to there. It feels like it's piling more on of stuff that coaches are not going to be happy about, and then you're going to have good head coaches. Uh, continue to go and be coordinators or or position coaches elsewhere where they don't have to worry about it as much or go to the NFL where they don't have to worry about it as much. Um, it, this can would it will continue and th- I'm not, this part I'm not saying is a bad thing. This could continue to grow the 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 business of having a GM in college football. Auburn uh, just hired one uh, from from LSU. Uh, and it, it, it that I'm and again I'm not saying that's a bad thing because uh, I think that that could help with with some, getting some of the coaching stuff but it that is going to continue to grow that that side of the ball or that side of the business uh, is, is to have more team. I just I I want to know why I want to know why so I do have for you a couple of the points that they right. are saying points for consideration so this is just. Uh, from the uh, Oversight Committee, again, this is a points a bolded list here of just two points. Uh, here's what they say. The three-period model may promote football's scholastic recruiting model. Two signing periods would occur before the opening of the NCAA transfer portal in football, allowing institutions to prioritize high school recruiting before four-year college student-athlete recruitment. And then the second point, moving the December signing period to the Wednesday following the final FBS regular season contest may allow coaching staff, current, and prospective student-athletes to focus on the fall football regular season. Your reaction? Hmm. I don't really know what to make of that. But, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm being honest. But so, so are they saying that, that – that didn't mention anything about the – the summer one, correct? Unless uh, I well, I mean, it referenced the three periods, okay. having two periods before the uh, beginning of the portal. Okay. Would, so, focus, would focus on the four-year, or excuse me, would focus on the high school recruiting because there's two windows before the portal even opens. Okay. I, I see it. I see it a little bit, but I don't, I still don't really You don't agree. have to buy it. Yeah, but I'd say I don't buy it. You know, I, I it makes like a slight bit more sense, but I think the way that it works right now, while I'm not saying it's perfect, I think it works. I think it's, I think that's the way that we've been going and I don't think it's a real big deal. Now the summer one, like you were saying, let's say it is for those kids that say, you know what? I just want to, I want to zip up this recruitment. I want to enjoy my last, you know, semester of high school. So I want to sign with this team and whatnot. Let me read you off some of the guys that Auburn flipped from this year. So these guys wouldn't be able to get flipped basically. Cam Coleman, big name, obviously. Um, you had, uh, not on that page, excuse me. You had Perry Thompson, obviously. Uh, Demarcus Riddick. You also had Amaris Williams. So those are some pretty big names right there that, let's say they would have packed it in and, you know, they would have signed off. Can't do anything because, I mean, that would technically be tampering because they would still be you know they would have signed in i guess you could i guess you could prod at it and you know i'm I'm sure teams do do that but at the end of the day theoretically speaking if those kids had signed with the schools that they would have signed with in the summer none of them would have gone to auburn and you know maybe they you know maybe they don't end up ending with auburn maybe they don't but at the end of the day they still made a decision and and changed their mind but with this new summer thing that wouldn't be possible and that that's why i think uh, that's why i think that signing day if it is an early signing day is a mistake well you could have 
Uh, <laughs> I know this would be a little cynical. You could just have more kids just ask out of their national letter of intent. Yeah, you could. And you and you, you, you they try to sign in June and they do it and then they get through the season. And I, I'll tell you this: I'll give you a valid reason why you sign in June to a coach on the hot seat to play for oh, a coach. Yeah. They go five and seven, Achoo. six and six, gone. They go, and then you're you're having to ask out of your letter of intent. And I think that's a valid. I mean, you go. Kids go to play for coaches all the time. If they do get fired in between you signing and not, I mean, I think that it's kind of a legitimate reason to get out of it. But also, what more paperwork for the for the hell of it? It seems like you know, just got to get more letter of intents broken and and all that. I just again, it it is pretty exhausting uh, with, with this kind of thing. And um the thing about the first Wednesday in December too is as you guys were talking about these conference championships, you know, they say, Oh, well you had two windows before the portal opens and that sort of thing. Uh, but the insinuation that they made that it would, you would focus more, uh, on the season for these portal guys. If they're disgruntled, they're going to get in the portal either way. And if you're a coach, like you, you, if people are going to sign in December, you're going to have to recruit them. Like, unless all 120 schools are going to get together, no, we won't recruit during September, October, November. We're fine. We'll wait till February for the sign period. There's so many a lot of kids that want to commit in December, and you know why? They want to get on campus in January, and they want to be with the team in February. You're like, I don't understand why they think moving up the December window uh, two weeks is going to. Uh, going to be the answer to this. I think I suggested a couple weeks ago when we, or maybe even a couple months ago at this point. If anything, you just get rid of the December window and it goes back to February, um, because you, we've already had too many instances of, of bickering and, and irritation around just having a window during bowl prep and during playoff prep. Which, okay, you say now. Uh, if we had the December 17th or 18th timeline, you know what the problem is going to be starting now? The 12-team playoff is going to be right around that time. And so the teams in the playoff are going to be uh, having to recruit at the same time of being in the playoff. Like, okay, I mean, I know it's a, it's not a, you know, uh, it's a first-world issue. I get it. But at the same time, it's still unnecessary. So uh, maybe have a January window instead of a February window. Um I think it'd be better to have like a June or July window and just no December window. If you if you want the summer window, don't do the December window. That way, the kids that do want to be uh, on campus in January, they can commit in July uh, before the season even starts, before anyone's season starts. Uh, and then, yeah, you would still have the problem, a loophole of, well, what if coaches get fired? You're going to break letter of intents and that sort of thing. And I don't love that either. Uh, but I don't like the December period personally. Um, It's not that I'm some February loyalist. I just think that you're trying to get the calendar right, and I don't think that teams should be expected to uh, six hours a day prepare for um, Georgia or uh, Texas or Ohio State, and then the other six hours try to find the closest recruit they can go in-home visit with the day before signing day. Like I'm sorry. I don't think that that's a great model either. So I just went through 247, On3, and SI's articles on this. Um, still not a fan. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's the thing, though, is the SEC coaches 
have voted in in their own world uh and it's it to go you know to the commissioner and if this were to go um propose that the entire month of december after that signing day which would be moved up to the first week would be a recruiting dead period you cannot talk to high school recruits then and it would just be portal people um you would still have the traditional signing day uh, in, in February that goes all the signing period starts February, goes all the way to April. And then the June one would be a three to seven day period somewhere around there open for uh, for for guys to sign ahead of their senior season. So it would, would be the uh, the the next class, the class of. So this year, if you had implemented it this year, the class of 25, it would be it would be in there. And so the, the, the positive things that I can see here is, and what it highlighted in some of these articles is it alleviates, you know, you get some of these guys that go ahead and want to sign it, you know, coaches that are, you know, don't have to recruit them all through the fall. They, they go ahead and sign in June. They're coming in, you know, December or next year uh, or, the, or the next year. And that's it's they're already signed their letter. You don't have to worry about recruiting them. It does, though continue to uh, and i agree with you i just don't like the december signing period if you want to here's here's if you want to have two signing periods do the february do the june and say this middle portion is going to be portal we're going to focus on the portal right after the season that's what we're going to do take out that december signing day if you want to sign early you're signing in june and then you're coming here next in on on january for one well because and here's the other thing so at least if you want to make the argument well you have the december signing period because um coaching carousel will be over with coaches will have been removed and been replaced and then you can make a decision based off that this 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 rule if if they move it up to the first of, of of december you're not going to know uh, necessarily all the replacements yet. You're going to have fired a coach a couple days ago in some instances. It's going to encourage you to fire coaches in the middle of the season, but the problem is you still necessarily can't hire someone you want to hire until their season's over. So if they're a coordinator in the playoffs or, or somewhere else, uh, you know they're not going to uh, be recruiting for you. As the, I mean, I mean, also you got you'd have a couple days. Like I don't. I the first the first of December thing is bad. You, you could keep the the end of December if you want to. I I am not seeing the the logic for the first of December. I could be wrong though. Let's take one more phone call here three three four eight eight seven three four zero one locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine up next. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you today? I'm doing good. You guys doing well? You know, I didn't realize spring practice had started. Uh, was the day the first day or? or? Uh, Tuesday was the first day. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize that. I, I know I called the press conference when I tuned in earlier. Uh, Coach uh, Freeze was talking about different things uh, last year that he probably would have done differently or whatnot and and uh, different coaching changes they had this uh, year to the staff, and he was looking forward to working with the uh, coaches he's worked with in the past and uh, what they're going to be able to put together and how they would understand each other uh, moving forward that uh, would benefit everybody at Auburn. Uh, I tell you, well, wow, look here. Uh, spring, is spring practice uh, – not spring. I mean, spring break is uh, start tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, in full effect next week. So Auburn's doing three practices this week. They're off next week, and then they go uh, four weeks in a row up until a day. So uh, wow. You know, uh, I know he's entitled to schedule things the way he sees fit, but I, you know, uh, 
with being out of class all next week, I, I think I might take advantage of that and uh, and practice. Uh, you know, see if I can get ahead and just be focused just on football, not be worried about anything academically next week since there's no classes uh, next week. Uh, probably could get a whole lot done, uh, you know, if you wanted to go that route. I mean, you know, uh, it's something to think about. But uh, I'm going to ask you this. As far as rules go, uh, now I know you got 15 days you can practice, right? There's still 15 days? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's they got five weeks and three days a week. Yes, sir, 15. Oh, to get 15 practices in? Yep. Now, is, is there any rule against practicing twice a day uh, when you're out on spring break? Uh, well, I, I don't if know. If you wanted to go twice a day. I think they could go on spring break if they wanted to. There's 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 no rule if they wanted to do that. Um, I think that you're looking at the ability to let your let your kids go home or, or go on a trip or something, uh, but I don't think there's no rule against it. You know, because I was thinking if there's no rule uh, with spring break practicing, uh, uh, excuse me, spring break kicking in, if there was no rule against uh, how many hours you could practice, then you could get a whole lot in. I mean, you could spend the morning working on the kicking game if that's, if that's all you want to do, and then come back in the afternoon and work on everything else. I mean, you know, and the time you could get in watching film and all that kind of stuff. I mean, basically have a pretty much an eight-hour, ten-hour day, really, just, I mean, working football. Well, I, I still again. So I, there's no rule about having, uh, you know, when you can have your practice. I would still think they'd have to adhere. I, I think those times and practice numbers would still count towards the overall uh, spring calendar, though. So I, they still couldn't exceed their total total allotment. They like. Well, what go ahead. Well, what I'm, say, what I'm saying, if you got fifteen, all right, excuse me, got fifteen yep. days. Yep. But nobody said how many times you could practice in one day, though, right? There's no rule against that. Not that I'm, I'm not that I'm aware of. I'll have to do my homework though. Yeah, I tell you, you know, when you think about old school coaches like Brian or whatnot, I mean, he took. I don't think anybody went uh, home for spring practice in his early years. Now things might have changed once he got in the seventies or whatnot, but I would think in those fifties and sixties, uh, when you didn't have all those rules, I don't think anybody uh, on spring break uh, on the Brian went home for spring break that week. I mean, I would take advantage of myself if the rules would allow. I think that's what I would go if I'm trying to get over the hump, trying to get somewhere. Maybe I would try to do something outside the box that nobody else is doing just to try to get ahead. You know, we won't be worried about classes and all this kind of stuff when I can just focus just solely on football and get them to that training table and getting that meal in them and, and anything they might need from athletic training in their training room, uh, going and getting any kind of treatment or whatnot and just keep them going is just my opinion on that. But i just thinking, man, uh, you, could, what, you could get ahead like that. Oh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I think that it would be – uh, wonderful for the football side of this. I just I don't know um, how the kids are, are and how the how the players are going to react to that because you're uh, kind of taking their best week away from from uh, having the opportunity to go home or, or go wherever. Uh, you know I, I get it that how important football is, but uh, I, I don't know if that's something that would would sit well with them. But I, I'd be curious to see if uh, if everyone does it that way, or if there are some schools that that I assume there's some schools that that practice in or around spring break. Well, you know, uh, we've always discussed this from time to time on the radio that at some point we believe that uh, maybe the NCAA would would allow an opponent to come in at spring break and, and play a game and, and you know and have all these events and things taking place that that, that uh, generate revenue. I just wonder. Uh, you know, how long is it going to be, perhaps, maybe before that possibly happen with, with nowadays with NIL money and, you know, endorsement deals and all that sort of thing, that at some point somebody's going to be pushing for a spring game against an opponent versus just playing yourself. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it gets complicated when you when you do factor in the NIL part of it, and uh, do uh, if there's some sort of incentive for players or that sort of thing. I I think it would be a lot of fun. I I, I would like to see it happen. I don't think that we get very much at all about just practicing against each other. Uh, for the 16th time, just making it more public this time, you know. So I, I, I definitely would like that to happen. I think it's becoming maybe a little more complicated since there is a, a lot of money to be had and, and who would want what and that sort of thing. But I'd love to see it one day. Yeah, it would be great. I mean, look at the workout you would get uh, versus an opponent. You, I mean, you could set it up where you got your ones going against their ones for the first quarter and then the second quarter, and then you come back at the halftime and you got your threes and fours. So I, you still have a good entertaining game because you have everybody matched up pretty good, you know, as far as level, ability, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you do it that way, then uh, and you're looking at what you can get out of it uh, as far as going forward into the season. Oh yeah, no, again, no, no contest for me there. I, I agree with that. I just I would be concerned about that money aspect of it, as you know, Anthony. But uh, I, I think that it's something that uh, would benefit really everybody. I, I think everyone. Uh, in fact, I'll give you one extra. So before Hugh Freeze was uh, was uh, doing his press conference today, we were in on the Butch Thompson, the baseball team's uh, press conference, and he was asked about the ability. They do scrimmage teams in the fall. They actually do play other schools in the fall, and he thinks he, it's a great thing for the team to see where they're at. So I think if you took that to football, it would be a very good thing. Yeah, man, I, I tell you that it actually worked wonders. Uh, you get a, a good read of where you at and what you need to really work on uh, over the summer break and going in, into fall practice. You know, camp uh, before the season starts. I mean, that that really would open some eyes to some things. And uh, I, I tell you, I think in the future that we probably will get a chance to see exactly that. I mean, it's just a matter of time. You know, money thing can always be worked out. I mean, you get to sit down at the table there and and get the calculator out and get that old pen out on that legal pad. Uh, well, I guess a computer nowadays, but I'm just for entertainment purposes. Get old legal pad out and uh, start writing it down and, and see how it breaks down. Yeah. Again, I, it'd take, uh, take some smart people, take both sides in the room, but uh, I'm sure they could get it done if they really wanted to. And when is the actual 8 day game? Uh, it's going to be sometime in uh, late March. Yeah, for Auburn, it's eight, Well, early April, April 6th. Oh, April 6th. Okay. And then after that, the players have about the rest of the month off until they start workouts in May, right? Uh, yeah, some summer workouts. The transfer portal will open April 15th, so we'll see uh, who else hits the portal at that time. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one, and I'll be talking to you. Yes, sir. Sounds good, Anthony. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks. That is Anthony calling from Auburn, joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Just a couple minutes left in the show. We do appreciate that phone call. Uh, yeah, again, the, the calendar is always going to kind of be changing, uh, not only with spring practice, but as we were talking about, again, with the recruiting side of it. And, of course, every time that they are knocking on the door of it, uh, we will always update that, and they are knocking on the door of changing that, uh, that again, that recruiting calendar. So we'll see what the oversight committee ends up doing. Uh, but I do I do really like Anthony's idea. I, I, we have talked about that in the past. I've I, I don't see a lot of reason why you couldn't scrimmage other teams. You say, oh, maybe an injury increase risk. Well, I mean, you're still scrimmaging. I mean, you'd be scrimmaging your own team. That's same stuff. I, I try to think of reasons why it wouldn't work. The only reason I could think of was, again, they just got it would have to, in this age of NIL, think about financials and that sort of thing. But I, I, I don't see why teams would not want to do that. Maybe they don't want to show off their stuff. I don't know. I But it's – it's also April, you know. You can change your stuff in five months. You can learn different ways of needing to do your stuff in five months. So I don't know. I, I would like to see it. I don't know if we're close to that or not, but 
uh, I do th- find that to be a, a pretty good idea. Final minute or two of the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide is presented by White Claw Heart Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Uh, One movie pick for you this evening. Uh, It is your Marvel movie pick of the evening. Spider-Man No Way Home is at 6 o'clock on FX if you are looking for uh, some superhero action tonight. Elsewhere in the TV sports world, basketball. Uh, There's a lot of basketball on tonight. We'll start things off. In the AAC Conference, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. Memphis visits East Carolina. Then at 6 o'clock, ESPNU. Longwood visiting Gardner-Webb. Go Bulldogs. Later on tonight, 7.30, FS1. Michigan visits Rutgers for some Big Ten basketball. Then later tonight, uh, 6 o'clock on e- or 8 o'clock on ESPNU. Tennessee State visits Arkansas Little Rock. Nightcap of college ba- men's college basketball, 9.30, FS1. UCLA visits Washington. Women's college basketball in action night, 6 o'clock on ESPN, you've got Virginia Tech visiting Notre Dame. Follow that up at 8 o'clock on ESPN2 by LSU and Georgia. Auburn women's uh, basketball on tonight as they take on Mississippi State on the SEC Network+. Plus. Uh, also some hockey on tonight, 8 o'clock ESPN. Avalanche visits the Blackhawks. Uh, LPGA Golf in primetime, 8.30 on Golf Network uh, and our Golf Channel. And then back-to-back uh, NBA action, 6.30 on TNT. The Warriors visit the Lakers. Follow that up at 9 o'clock by the uh, Heat visiting the Nuggets. And that is the Nightly TV I brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Did and I say the Warriors visit the Nuggets? Uh, you said Warriors visiting the Lakers. Oh, they're visiting the Knicks. Yes, they are. That's all good. Brooks, thank you for being <laughs> here today. Uh, you will not be on with us tomorrow, so I hope you have a great weekend. Sir. I hope you do as well. And T.P. Hammock, thank you for being here today. We will see you again next week as well. Thank you, as always. Again, that will do it for the show this afternoon. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and T.P. Hammock, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.